and Matt Show, the disc golf podcast you've been looking for. What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Matt, we're on week 14 for the Nick and Matt Show, and I am very happy to say that I'm here in person doing it. I have to thank the uh, Sayer family up in Maine for hosting me. Uh, super awesome week up there, or excuse me, weekend. But um, it's very nice to be in the studio with you. I can see my face. The internet's good. <laughs> I can see you. I can see our guest already. Um, I'm super excited. Nick, we do have a guest, and I guess we'll just tease it out there now. He's in our virtual green room, and um, he is Seth Muncy of Disc Golf Strong. Yeah. We will get to that. Some of our topics – well, actually, Nick. Go for it. So for those of you who stuck around last week, so you saw Nick. He looked like he was in, like, a cave somewhere, which, again, it's a basement of somebody's house. Totally cool. Yeah. But he was, like, no no good lighting like we have here. We're blasting yeah. lights at our faces. And at the end of the show – Okay, for those of you who have stuck around the whole show before, you know it plays our outro loop and then it just goes boom, gone. Well, last week, for those of you who literally stuck around to the end and then even stuck around at the end of that outro, you realize something. They got exclusive content. <laughs> exclusive. I like how you did that. Yeah. So if anybody was still here, this is what happened. The outro plays, it it's done, and I think to myself, for some, I think it's because Nick wasn't next to me. I think to myself, it's over. And I literally just pull Nick back up so I can see him and I'm talking to him, but we're still yeah. live streaming. We are streaming to all of our YouTube yeah. subscribers and our Facebook fans, and we're having, uh, I'll just our say- Our normal end-of-the-day conversation. Like, yeah, personal conversation. Go, what happened, like- I you muted know. Nick's microphone yeah. uh, just on accident. Like I shut it off or whatever. And I, I could hear him, but you can't, you can see Nick talking and then like, I'm just answering like to Nick. But what's so funny is like, we were being genuine. You guys now know if you stuck for that part of the show, you know, we aren't joking about how much we value comments. Cause Nick asked me, he's like, Hey, how is it going tonight? I couldn't yeah. see comments. And I'm like, I'm reading through all the comments live and no, we had no idea. Like just imagine right now, if you're watching us, yeah. we had no idea. We're just like talking back and forth and I'm looking at the things. I'm like, Oh, these people, they're saying they love us. This is so cool. Like we've got great comments, great followers. And Nick goes by and I'm just sitting here at the computer and I'm just kind of whistling to myself, kind of scratch my nose. Didn't dig too deep, thankfully, you know, but, and one thing leads to another. I'm literally getting up and uh, shutting off the lights. And you see the last light just shut off in the studio. And I walk out. And we're still live streaming in the studio. And I go upstairs and I see people still commenting on the video. And they're like, bro, you're still live. You're still live. Like, you, how long? Anybody have their phone number? Yeah. This is crazy. Like, how long is this going to go on for? Like, it's just going to stream all night. Well, anyways, I end up running back downstairs and uh, getting it shut off. And people actually reached yeah. out to us via messages. Anyways, it was super funny. I told Nick tonight because Nick didn't have a clue yeah, that happened. I had no idea that happened. So when he was telling me about it, I just started dying. We actually rewatched it. Matt had obviously put up the edited version of our show up on YouTube and everything. But we had watched the unedited edited version of it. And it was it was actually wicked funny. It, anyways yeah it was anyways. really fun. it was more funny to us i was yeah, almost crying exactly. again tonight re-watching it because we just had zero idea what was happening but so not like i said great to be back in the studio 
I love being here. Just want to say thank you everyone for already commenting. Joe Yak, Doxen, Rocky McGuire. Like, appreciate you guys commenting every single week. And um, we're serious. Again, yeah. we we did it last I love week. It. I, I focus a ton on the comments. Like, I actually love reading through this. All right, Nick. But let's focus, don't focus too much. Let's, let's get right into it. What are the show topics tonight? Let's don't recap. Uh, Seth Muncy from Disc Golf Strong is our guest. We're always going to do our Judge That Disc Golfer. Maybe Seth not always, I. but, but we are going to do it. Yeah, I will be there tonight. Our newish segment of internet questions we're gonna go scour the internet for some cool disc golf questions random ones some awkward ones some that have nothing to do with disc golf we're gonna find them and we're gonna judge them and then uh <laughs> just a regular general disc golf news i mean one of the biggest things is you know five hour rounds at ledgestone brody's not finishing out the tour this year you know what's going on with that um let's see Live coverage for the FPO versus the MPO. For Ledgestone, they obviously played separate courses. So women teed off kind of like earlier than they have been. So we were able to watch FBO all on its own and then able to watch MPO all on its own. So we're going to kind of talk about the opinions yeah. that a majority of people have and, you know, kind of my opinion for it, Matt's opinion for it. So not short on opinions here at the Nick and Matt show. I'll say that much. No. So let's just reiterate too, that we did the 1000 subscriber giveaway last week. And I know we're getting all this like intro out of the way. I know you're ready for the topics and the content, but um, we did the thousand subscriber giveaway. We have not been contacted yet. So let's shout it out again. We did it at the end of the show last week. We'll do it now. Caleb Millar. I'm assuming it's Millar. M-I-L-L-A-R. Caleb Millar. Reach out to us. There's a lot of ways, social media, many different ways. Go ahead and do that. Or the Nick and Matt DG show at gmail.com. That's also acceptable. But Nick, we're also starting the 2000 subscriber giveaway. So make sure you share this, everybody. That's the only way to get the subscribers. They don't know about our show. Mm -hmm. Honestly, they don't know about our show. Yeah. Maybe they should. Maybe you millions think they already do, but, <laughs> you know, billions don't. So, okay. So let's do this. Let's do the quick hitting facts. We're not talking everything, Ledstone. But the facts of the tournament play and how it played out. Were you guys watching the tournament? What did you think? Play along with this. Let's talk about the ratings, Nick. Quick stats for MPO. What was the average rating to win MPO at Ledgestone this uh, past weekend? Big spoiler alert. Ricky Wysocki had to average 1068 to win the Ledgestone Insurance Open. First time winning it. And he won it by a substantial margin. You know, Ricky played incredible. Obviously averaging 1068. That's insane. But uh, yeah, he shot a 1091 final rated round too. Yeah. And so, right. Yeah. So he was shooting really impressive. And just to put this in perspective, the last two events, uh, both D Glow and Idlewild, um, in this order, 1064 was the average to win and um, 1048. So Ricky doing an average of 1068 is obviously very yeah. impressive and it's the out of the last three events it's the highest rating to win how about this nick uh the average to get last cash what did you have to shoot 994 which is kind of surprising to me because i'm pretty sure a year or two ago you had to average at least a thousand to cash at most pro tour events and i'm pretty sure you had to average a thousand to cash at ledgestone okay so i don't think the talent's getting worse in my no. opinion i think more people are playing the i think events. yeah i think the fields got bigger i mean yeah. i'd be curious i didn't look it up but i'd be curious to see how many players played this year i think it was like 184 in mpo compared to last year i'm not exactly sure how many it was so yeah so and just to put this in perspective last cash for mpo at the previous two events so d glow and idlewild 
um, almost exactly the same. In fact, D-Glow was exactly the same, 994. So if mm -hmm. you aren't 994 rated, you're gonna have a hard time cashing yeah. at any of these events, even for that $50. We'll talk about that mm -hmm. another time. <laughs> but yeah. 999 was Idlewild. So realistically, yeah. at thousand, you gotta play thousand rated golf to hit last cash. Mm -hmm. So that's that's the standard there at this point, yeah. what we're seeing. Quick stats for FPO, Nick. Well, I want to say this really quick. Quick shout out to Paul. He did shoot the hot round of the week at uh, Eureka. He shot a 1098 rated final round. And I don't know if we have we seen an 1100 rated round this year on the Pro Tour. I don't know if we have. Oh, I'm not ready to answer that, but I feel I, like I feel like we haven't. But I could totally be wrong. But I I don't think we I have. want to say it was like Paul at uh, winter time or something. We'll have to look at it. Yeah. I don't All right. Know. Quick yeah, stats I don't know. for FPO. Quick stats for FPO, though. Cat had to average 985 to win it. Which, uh, that's mm -hmm. pretty accurate to, again, the stats How history. D-Glow was 985, so exactly the same. And Idlewild was a little less, 974. That's that's the standard right now. And yeah. who's the highest rated woman player out there? Paige Pierce. So she should, I mean, that's how ratings work, right? Yep. She should win. Yeah. Um, but that's about her rating too. Yeah. So like, yeah, she should Paige, most consistently win. Paige almost made an incredible comeback. I mean, she was trailing like 11 strokes of final round and ended up bringing it within three strokes of her, like her getting second place. But no, Cap, Cap played amazing. I yeah, mean, I don't want to overlook. Yeah, and same thing. Paige ended up having the um, hot round over at Sunset. She thought, or excuse me, she shot a 1030 rated round at Sunset. Yeah. Matt, do you know what your highest rating route is? My highest rated round, yeah. I'm proud to say it was like 1,022. Now, Decent. that is ever in my 13 year, 14 years of playing. Yeah. So, yeah. At Maple Hill, it was pretty cool. Nice. All right. Kind of a quick noticeables, real quick. Uh, just names who were kind of at the bottom of the cash line for MPO that I was looking at. Uh, Colton Montgomery, obviously a one-time Pro Tour winner, won the Waco Annual Charity Open this year. He was two strokes above last cash. Eric Oakley. Most people know Eric. One of the best memes in disc golf came from <laughs> Eureka a year or two ago. Um, he was three strokes above cash. And then James Conrad, who is a disc golf pro tour winner, also USDGC winner, was five strokes above cash. So this tournament, you know, your top five to top 10 players at it are, they were kind of like the top 10 players in the world. Obviously, you know, James didn't have a great weekend. So he was down the list a little bit. But for the most part, this tournament, from what I heard, Northwoods is very hard. That's, <laughs> We're going to talk yeah. about that. And people right now are commenting, this is the best part, or not the best part, but our show is recorded live, okay? Mm -hmm. So if you're listening to this post um, live, it's okay. We're glad, but you're getting input also from our listeners. And someone said, hey, what about Heather Young and Haley King? And that's actually in our show notes. Ha -ha. So uh, If I can show it and if you guys can <laughs> no, read it. But, two two yeah. things here. FPO average rating to cash. This is 905, and that's yep, regularly that been cash. a little higher. 920 and 925, the previous events. So again, I think there are more women at this event. But then, yes, most impressive finish. Shout out to Heather Young, yes. who is new newer to the scene. She's really only been putter. playing two and a half years, and I didn't notice that, or I didn't know that until she had posted about it on Instagram, but she was like, playing two and a half years, and to have a podium finish, like, that's insane. And I was like, yeah, damn. I was like, I definitely thought she'd been playing longer than that, but... She's a pure student in this mindset of she's always learning and observing yeah. and trying to change and become better. She's not trying to do it on her purely on her own. Her putt is insane. Like, she's a wicked good Didn't putter. Didn't she win? She, she won, won the She won yeah. the Pro Tour kind of like putting invitation that they did. Yeah. And then Haley King. She's my homie. 
Um, she ended up squeaking into fourth place, another incredible putter. Haley definitely has a little bit more power than Heather does, but, um, yeah, those were two definitely big noticeable finishes. And I think honestly, you'll see at technical courses, you will see Heather and Haley jump up and I wouldn't be surprised if they get a couple more podium finishes this year. So that's kind of our run through, like on the quicker version of, Hey, here's what happened at the previous tournament. We do have those other topics to get to, but without further ado, we've put them in the green room for far too long. Let's bring them on live. You guys have all been waiting. He's got a lot of fans out there following his disc golf strong as well as him personally. Let's bring him on the show. Now, Seth Muncy of disc golf strong. How are you doing, Seth? What's up, Matt and Nick? How are you both? Good. How about you? Man, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for the invite. Heck yeah. <laughs> so in full disclosure to everybody, Seth dropped everything he was doing last minute to come on our show. And it was a, it, we were truly excited about this. And we'll talk about it a little bit. You are not second fiddle, fiddle to anybody. You were on our list of people to contact, which is why I did. Mm -hmm. But we did have somebody fall through today, which is why it was last minute. We'll talk about that later. Um, his last name. I, I had lots of plans, but you know, I dropped everything. <laughs> yeah. too, so. Oh no. All right. Well, we'll we, we won't, <laughs> we, put that we dropped our other guest when we heard you were coming on today. <laughs> That's what I should say. So. Actually from similar, gotcha. the similar yeah. coast, we're, we're going to have a guy from the similar coast on our show next week, yeah. but we'll, we'll tease it at the end. Yeah. We'll so here's, here's the deal. I think this is interesting. What's your background? We're just going to jump literally right into it. For those who don't know you, um, tell us a little bit, what's your background and then how come you chose disc golf? <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great question. So, you know, after I after I got out of high school, I I went into the helping people profession, and I've always been drawn to that. I actually went into the military, where I did search and rescue in the Coast Guard for four years in San Francisco. Got out, thought I was going to be a firefighter and uh, work on an ambulance. So I went to the fire academy, and then I spent six years on an ambulance uh, doing nine one one emergency response. Decided that that was not the route that I wanted to go anymore, but I still wanted to help people. So I started looking into personal training, strength and conditioning. When I worked on the ambulance, I went from uh, getting out of the military, being around like 165 to working on an ambulance where I was working 24, 40 hour shifts uh, and put on, you know, 40, 40 pounds or more uh, of not muscle uh, from all the stress and everything. So decided I wanted to switch careers. Uh, someone told me about, hey, you should be a personal trainer. It was 2008, so it was like the perfect time to get into uh, personal training, which it turned out to not be because of uh, what happened in 2008. But I, I, I learned a lot about nutrition and health and decided that's the career I wanted to go to, go into. So I started working as a personal, personal trainer, trainer and uh, realized that I wanted to take it further than just getting, you know, a personal trainer certification. So I started reading and a quote of mine uh, that I love that I, I learned from someone a long time ago said, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. And so I was like, I need to always be searching for more and I need to get my degree in uh, kinesiology, exercise science. So went to school got a uh, late. I already had a, a, my first child at that time. We had a mortgage and everything, but I decided to go to school, went to Cal state Fullerton and got my degree in kinesiology there uh, where I focused more on strength and conditioning. That was the, that was the focus there during my senior year in college. I 
um, started working for the Anaheim Ducks hockey team to uh, as their intern strength and conditioning coach. So that was a great experience working with high-level athletes, rotational athletes. My coach there, Sean Skane, was amazing and spent about a year and a half with him, both in-season and off-season. After that, decided to uh, move up to Northern California where my wife is from, and I opened up a gym, and I had a training facility for a couple of years. While I was up there here in Monterey, started getting into disc, into disc golf. I had always been – I've been throwing a disc, a Frisbee, since I, since I was a little kid. Um, you know, Growing up in Southern California, my brother and I, every single day we had a Frisbee. We were doing something with it out at the beach in front of the house. But never really got into disc golf down there. The, the closest course, Huntington Beach, was a little too far away. So when I moved up here and I was training in a gym and I, and I started playing a lot of disc golf and really getting into it, I started to notice that uh, there was a lot of players that were not you know, playing to the level that they wanted to play at. They weren't competing where they felt they should. Um, they were experiencing injuries. And just from my background as a strength and conditioning coach um, and working in sports and working with general population too, I started to think about how I can help them. And my, so my passion for disc golf and for the Frisbee, for the flying disc, and, and my passion for helping people kind of you know, merged. And so in 2016, really in 2015, I started putting together kind of the, the start of Disc Golf Strong. And then I got uh, partnered up with a guy at a triples tournament, New Year's Day, Jan uh, New Year's Day in 2016, John Baldwin, who was the 2011 Masters yeah. World Champion. Yeah, yeah. And I just asked, I just asked John. I was, uh, I didn't know him at that time, but we just started talking. And I asked him, you know, hey, you know, do you think something like this would benefit you as a as an athlete in disc golf? And he was like, yeah, absolutely. You know, my back is killing me. Let's talk. I want to, you know, love to learn more. So I started working with John Baldwin and kind of grew from there. Started, you know, from 2016 to now. Uh, I'm on the PDGA Medical Committee uh, since uh, its inception in January 2019. I work with the Disc Golf Pro Tour, work with uh, a number of the athletes on tour. And then I also have uh, some other stuff with amateur, the amateur disc golfer and the disc golf strong inner circle. So it's been, it's been a great journey. Uh, I wish I was out on tour right now. Um, yeah, but you, not you, this year, you were going to stay, so. at, maybe I, maybe I was dreaming too much, but you were going to stay at my house actually not far from where my little studio yep. is right here. Like you could have been like rolling out of bed yeah. right onto live camera. We could have done this live. Yeah. I was going to yeah, say like when in, MVP in rolled around, we could have had a live training session. No, no joke. That was actually, that actually was kind of a plan. I was thinking, yep. I was like, Oh, who's going to be in person. We can do some shows live, but yep. we're glad to have you on now. Definitely. Yeah. I'm glad to be here. We've heard, obviously, and this is one thing, you've already came come into the sport and created waves of disc golfers becoming more athletic and disc golfers actually becoming legitimate athletes. You've worked very closely with like Madison Walker and a ton of, ton of other pros and just kind of working on their diets and also their flexibility. So one of the things in disc golf, you've always wanted to kind of change the stigma that disc golf has. What does that, what does that mean to you? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's so important as 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 disc golfers that we identify as athletes. That's the one of the first things I really started talking about in 2016 was, you know, this is an athletic sport where we we are we have to be athletic. Now, can we can we get out there and can we play disc golf without, you know, improving our athleticism? 
Absolutely. But we're not sure how long we're going to be able to do that. It's hard to sustain that. So the more athletic you become, the, the better you're going to be able to perform and the more resilient against injuries you're going to become. So that first step is really saying whether you're a pro on tour, uh, whether you're a regional pro or you're just an am uh, that loves to go out there and, and play, um, you have to think of yourself as an athlete. Because if you don't, uh, then nothing else, none of that other, none of this stuff makes sense. Yeah. You know, um, training your body, getting good recovery, taking care of your, you know, um, soft tissue. All, none of that makes sense if it's just a hobby. And the more we start moving towards thinking of ourselves as athletes uh, and really identifying ourselves as an athlete, then, you know, our perform, the only thing that's going to get better, the only thing that's going to change is our performance is going to get better. And we're going to be able to play this game as long as we want. And that's really a goal of ours, right? Perform at, perform yeah. where we, we want to perform and be resilient. Yeah. And I mean, you're just bringing up like we have to think of ourselves as athletes. Now, that it can get a little deeper. Is this just like a, a thing that you would say to anyone who plays disc golf as an athlete? Um, you, I don't know. Maybe you just in short, you'd say, yes, anyone who plays disc golf is an athlete. But we're obviously talking about all levels here. But so let me ask you this. Some people make fun of the idea that disc golfer could be an athlete when so many other sports seem more demanding from a physical standpoint. Why do you think that is? Like, what's your perspective on athleticism required to play at the highest level? How does it, what does that compare to to other sports? Is it is it just hidden under the fact that disc golf doesn't look athletic, but it really is very like, what is that? What is part of disc golf that's really athletic that we aren't maybe seeing consciously and aware of? Yeah, absolutely. So there was a there was a study done from the University of Arizona a couple of years back, and they found about a, uh, about 81, it should, could be 83. I'm getting those mixed in my mind right now, but let's just go with 81% injury rate in our sport. So that's a very high injury rate. Um, if you're on, if you're on tour and your body is your business card and you need to be healthy and you need to be resilient, like you need to be working on your fitness levels. You need to be working on your athleticism. Um, if you are just an am player and you like being out there and you just like playing your local courses and playing with friends or even solo rounds, you need to be working on your athleticism. Doesn't need to be, doesn't mean that you need to be doing what the top athletes in any sport are doing, but you need to be working on some of your mobility. You need to be working on some of your, uh, stability, your strength. Why? Because we don't want what we do off the course to affect us on the course and we don't want what we do on the course to affect us off the course, right? Because disc golf is not just throwing frisbees yeah. in the air and watching them fly. It's community. It's most of our best friends become disc golfers. Mm -hmm. It's our way to relieve stress. It's our way to stay competitive beyond high school and college athletics. It's a way to get out there and feel like we are excelling and competing at something. If you are a you know, 35-year-old you know, am disc golfer, or you're a 50 year old am disc golfer, or, or you're a pro. Um, and let's just stay, actually, let's just stay with am. If you're an am disc golfer and you don't work on your mobility and you don't work on improving some of your stability and you get an injury on the course, which happens often, right? Like all of us know somebody who's hurt their shoulder or complains about their elbow or, you know, something that is going to affect you off the course. Right. So 
I, I get messages all the day, all, <laughs> every day from people. Oh, I'm sure. I got a, I got a message one time from someone who said, Hey, I, uh, I haven't thrown a disc. This was last year. It was, I think we were around like December and it said, Hey, I haven't thrown a disc since the 4th of July. I've been playing for, you know, 13 years or so. And my elbow is so bad that I can't pour a cup of coffee. The, wow. My elbow is so bad. I can't turn a doorknob. Can't play with my kids. Like, we don't want that to happen. And so the more athletic we become, the better we're going to be, even if it's about more resiliency. People go, well, I don't really care about throwing farther, but you want to throw for longer, like like in years, right? So this is very, very important. Yeah, and I think that there's, maybe there's not, maybe you could break it down a little more, but there's two separate ideas. One is like repetitive all the, always doing the same thing injuries but then there's also like the injury of like uh whatever you would call it a trauma type injury like you did something way too hard and wrong and that likes what hurt you mm -hmm. as opposed to the repetitiveness there's probably two different aspects there but i had to laugh because we have a live comment that came in here and someone said um they're like yeah before a round i i usually swing my arm around at least three or four times before i play <laughs> it just it's like that's probably <laughs> honestly that's probably what a lot of people are doing. And so yeah. I just thought that was funny. I mean, how much is that always the case? Like you trying to change that you're making people aware. Yeah. We need to change the culture in our sport. And you know, when I went back in 2016, the first thing I put out really was a pre round warm up Cause I was like, if there's something that we can do right now, that's the most impactful thing we can do uh, to at least help us be more resilient and impact our performance a little bit is start warming up and it's, it's to change that culture. They didn't, uh, you know, they didn't do strength and conditioning in professional basketball until like this, I think it was around the seventies. Like they didn't do it until they did it. They didn't do it in football until they did it. They didn't do it in baseball until they did it. Right. So we didn't do it in disc golf until we do it now. Right. Wow. And so it's, it's things that we haven't done in the past, but it's, that doesn't mean that it's not things we should do in the future. Professional sports teams invest hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in strength and conditioning staff and training rooms and equipment and off-season and in-season programs. Is it because they want to spend money? Is it because they want their athletes to feel like, hey, we're just you know providing you some little perks and benefits? No, it's because the science shows that strength and conditioning works, that improving your athleticism works. And when it comes to disc golf, it looks so smooth when the pros do it. Right. But that's like watching a Bentley drive down the street mm -hmm. and you're like, oh, wow, that looks that's driving so smooth. Yeah. There must be nothing violent happening underneath the hood. <laughs> there is. There is. It's just better yeah. maintained. It's better thought out. It's you know, there's a it's there's still a lot going on in the hood that's making that Bentley go, you know, versus a beater. It's just it's taken care of. So disc golf looks smooth. But there's a lot going on. There's a lot of forces going in on in our body uh, to be able to um, play the way we the way we do. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for answering a question that I was going to ask. So we now we don't have to. I was surprised. Other sports, I was going to ask, like, why did disc golf take so long to get here? But your point was like, it doesn't happen until it happens. All mm -hmm. right, Nick. I know you have a question. No, I was just going to say. I mean, have you noticed since you've been more involved in the game now? Like, I remember kind of first. I've seen you around, <clears throat> obviously. But we never really like met completely. But in Waco, Brody and I, after I think the first round, 
went over to your tent because Brody wanted to do some kind of like, you know, end of the round workout really quick. And I was like, hey, well, Paul's over there, you know, hanging out with people. So I'm going to do the same thing as Brody. And I remember one of the biggest things was just take a lacrosse ball, move your foot around. And I was like, oh, my God, my foot feels amazing right now. And just doing that kind of like workout at the end was obviously very rewarding. Not going to lie, Matt, I shot a 10-26 second round. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. Might might have been the disc golf strong. But uh, no, on a serious note, do you have you noticed in the last kind of like four to five years that you've been more involved with the sport? Have you noticed players kind of like on the rise with their maintaining of their body correctly? Oh, absolutely. It's it, the, the culture is definitely shifting um, and it's been great to see. And that's a big thing is the culture. We're, we're trying to change the culture. Um, if you're a professional baseball player, you go out and you do your warmups. You do your training in the offseason, in season. Let's just take warmups. Why do you do your warmups before your round? You've been doing warmups before your round since you were in little league ball, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's the same thing in football. You're doing strength and conditioning. You're doing, you know, work on your athleticism, your mobility, your, you know, your stability. Back when you're in high school, back when you're in middle school, and so we don't have that in disc golf, that culture of doing it when we're young. So it seems, you know, weird now to be out on the course and doing that. But I remember I started working with Sarah Hokum and Madison Walker back in 2016. They both, you know, reached out to me and wanted to learn more and, and start working on their athleticism for disc golf. And, and I remember being at master's cup, this was like 2016, I think. And Sarah Hokum is out there doing my pre-round warmup and most pretty much every other player is just walking by her. But she was like, I'm doing it. Now you go and you see a lot of players thinking about it. I'll just, I went out to a course the other day, my wife and I, and kids, and I saw two people out and they were warming up on the first tee pad. Just Ams, I didn't know who they were. And they're doing shoulder halos and stuff. I'm like, yes, that's awesome. Like, you know, it's, but most people feel weird about it. And that's just, that's just, as we continue to just go out and just do our warmups and think of ourselves as athletes, it will start to change. If, if any of us were on a professional baseball team and everyone goes out to the field to warm up before a, a game mm-hmm. and we're still sitting on the bench, they're going to be looking at us like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, do you even care? <laughs> yeah. You know, like, like it's weird to not do it. It's And so, yeah. No, I, I was going to say, it's funny that you know, for the am that's doing that on the tee pad, trying to better himself and better his body is potentially getting made fun of for doing that. You know, like he's silently getting judged by the casual people walking by. That's a, that's a shout out yeah. to the episode or the segment judge that disc golfer yeah. coming up. We're, yeah, exactly. We're, oh, there you go. No, yeah. no stretches in the pre or pregame. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember, I remember in, uh, at the European open, um, page, mentioned to me because I've been working with Paige for a while now too. And she does her pre-round warmups and Paige saying like, Seth, like I love doing this because I don't feel like I have to wait till hole three or four before I'm finally warmed up. I feel like I'm ready to go. Like my body's ready to perform on hole one. And so it's like, why wouldn't we want that feeling? I'd rather have that feeling than feel like I'm being judged by people Mm -hmm. Don't feel. Ju- I encourage people. Don't feel judged if they're not doing it now. That doesn't mean 
you're you're just you're setting an example. Yeah, you know, sure. you're setting an example. Are these players? And this is more of a short answer I'm looking for, unless you have something mm -hmm. you want to elaborate on. Are these players playing better disc golf now? The ones you've worked with? Yeah, uh, I would say yes. I think they would say yes. I would say that they feel you know you feel more confident uh, in what you can do. You know, your physical affects your mental, your mental affects your physical. So absolutely. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I was figuring you'd say, but I just wanted to hear it. It's um, it, so here's where I'm going with this. Those who are listening right now, if they want their disc golf game to be better. Everything you're saying is true for them. Um, so <laughs> it's not really that tough of a sell. I, I am interested, though. When you walked up to these professional disc golfers for the first time. What was that uh, sales pitch, if you will? What what did that what did that look like? Like, or how did that go? Was it a hard sell, or were they like, okay, yeah, I'm in, or was it like, no, we don't do this in our sport? Like, what was that? How did that start? How did that conversation go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I've never actually asked anyone if they if they uh, if I if I'm if it's possible for me to work with them. Um, it's only if they come up to me and they ask me. And the reason why is because as an athlete, you have to feel like you're ready yourself to make that commitment. And then when they, if they come to me and say, Hey, I want to improve my mobility. I want to play better. I want to play with more consistency. How can you, how can you help me? Then it's going to be not, it's not an easier sell. It's going to be that they're going to be more committed to doing the work uh, than me coming up to them saying like, Hey, let me make you a better player. Like that's not my place. Right. Mm -hmm. So only if they come up to me and say, Hey Seth, can I, can I talk to you? Um, you know, that's where, that's where the conversation starts. And that's where it started with every athlete that I work so with. So why yeah. did they do that? Did how, you put yourself out there? I know you started with like uh, YouTube videos with like, Hey, just try stretching and warming up. And then I'm sure through, and I've heard some of the things you say through some of the things you say, it's like, you are going to, you need to do this for yourself to become better. All this stuff, it's going to help you. It's going to translate to the course, all of that stuff. Um, and so that's why they came to you. Cool. Yeah. You, like the first, the first, uh, back, I think it was the end of 2016 or it was GBO 2017. Actually, I think it was, is I was walk like I was walking by Ricky's table and you know, Ricky's like, Hey, what's up, man? You're, you do the, the, the strength and conditioning, the exercise videos. I was like, yeah. He's like, dude, let, I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you. The reason why Ricky did that, the reason why Sarah reached out to me right away, the, these, these, you know, they're, they're always looking for that way to improve players that want to make that, take that it to that next level. They're looking for that slight edge of how can I find a way to make sure that I can play my best out there and I can stay as resilient to injury as mm -hmm. possible. Um, and so that's where a lot of the, that's, you know, I started working right away first with Ricky and Sarah and Madison and, and most of the players on tour, pretty much all, they want to get better. Um, but you look at like, you know, Ricky, you look at Paul, Paul, you know, he's been training for a long time. They both have backgrounds in, uh, baseball. Uh, Sarah Hokum was like a three-time all-American volleyball player. So, you know, being in the gym, working on their, their fitness, working on their athleticism, that's something that came that that 
that's something that was instilled in them mm-hmm. back in the day. So that's why they wanted to go into it. And then if any other players come up, uh, it's usually maybe they see I'm working with somebody or they've got an injury or something and they want to come up and ask. Um, but I don't want to make it sound like, you know, you have to, you know, I'm never going to seek you out. It, <laughs> yeah. It's just, it, it, it's, it's that if you, I, I don't want to come up to a player and say, you look like you need my help. Yeah. You know, like I don't, I, that's <laughs> yeah, not my exactly. place. Pick, you know, pick me, it's, pick it's, me. It's, yeah. It, it, no, it's, it's, if they come up and they want to do more, they'll, they'll want to ask. Yeah. And I'll, I'm there for any player on tour, uh, that wants to, you know, learn more about how to keep their body healthy and performing at the level they want. I'm here. Yeah. And like, I just want to say our chat is kind of like blowing up with questions and comments and everything like that. And, you know, one of the things people are, you know, kind of getting is you know oh if i do these you know i'll be able to throw 350 feet instead of 300 feet next week and i you know i want to let people know because this is something i struggle with too is consistently working out or like the consistency to stay ahead of my body's well-being like you know obviously i want to throw further and doing one seth muncie workout it's not a get rich quick scheme like i'm not going to all of a sudden throw 450 feet instead of 400 feet like people you need to put the commitment in it. And I think one of the best things that the pro tour did this year, and unfortunately with COVID and everything was to have you actually come to every single event you set up your area and same thing. You're not actively seeking other, you know, top pros. You're just letting them come to you. And if they consistently do what you are telling them to do, you know, they will notice changes in themselves. Like I think one of the examples that I remember is, you know, Eagle had talked about wanting to get better with flexibility and he had done some work with you. And then I remember him and Simon went overseas and did a huge workout thing over there for a few weeks. And then you just notice Eagle's form is so kind of like perfect and it's so refined and it doesn't look like he's putting too much stress on his body. And he, you know, when he did that on the mile challenge, he said right right at the beginning of the video, he's like, all right, I got to do my disc golf strong workout. Like that's, people say that, you know, I got to do my disc golf strong workout. I got to do my disc golf strong workout. So I think that's really cool. Kind of in the disc golf world that you've created is a way for people to actually consistently be able to do that. But anyways, that's that. Yeah. 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 You know, Nick, you're right on consistency, consistent. Uh, one of my mentors, uh, in strength and conditioning, Tim Anderson, he always says consistency is the magic pill you must swallow. Uh, people are wondering what my shirt says. This is says, keep your head up from original strength. I'm a, one of their instructors and that's Tim's organization, but it's always, it's about consistency. It's not about doing it all the time, like always being perfect. It's just about taking something and just being as consistent, more consistent than not. You know, you, you bring up Eagle, Eagle just texted me, uh, uh, not too long ago and we were just chatting and he said, I'm going to read a little bit of his text said doing good he's in vermont he said body feels good i got in a high session on monday we have i in our my my training app with him with the athletes i have high medium Mm -hmm. sessions as far as intensity and volume he says got a high in session and on monday we'll get one or two of those a week as well as one or two of the medium sessions so it's just about consistent application eagle eagle is prepared to put in the work that you know he's he's it's that consistency is gonna 
is going to lead to uh, the results. Well, and as you meant, yeah, exactly. It We don't need to keep banging that drum, but I think it is important to understand if you do look at the top athletes right now in disc golf, the winners, they have all chosen, I would say within the last year or two or three, but more so later, right, more recently, they're, they're now featuring like, look at me, I am working out and I am exercising and I'm eating better. Like it is becoming, and this is just like, if you show up to the dance looking better than somebody else, they want to come back to the next dance looking. And like, so mm -hmm. everybody, I feel like you've done a great thing, Seth. And I know it's probably, you're not going to take all the credit, but the point is this is a culture mindset and it has begun its shift. And we have seen it um, from, like I said, the first time I saw your videos, I'm like, who's this guy? And like, doesn't he know like disc golfers don't really yeah. do these things, but he's all about it. He's <laughs> he, all about it. He judged it. you. He judged you. Straight up. He judged you. Yeah. Judged oh, that's, that's, that's what we do on the show. So let me ask, because there's a lot of people like me and I'm just going to come clean right now. I do not exercise beyond playing disc golf and maybe like riling up my four kids. <laughs> but the exercise I get is on the disc golf course. It's the throwing, it's the hiking, it's the whatever. Um, and Maple Hill is not a bad course and there's a lot of other hilly courses. Like we're getting our cardio and going up and yeah. down hills. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. I've discovered, and I'm 35 now, I've discovered that I don't even know, it might be longer than five years over the last, let's say five, six, seven years that I'm, I started to, and maybe further back from that experience. Ooh, something doesn't feel right after the round. I've got a sore and I don't, I'm no muscle or tendon guy. You're going to know all that stuff. But like something hurts. Like I've overworked it, like almost to the point mm -hmm. of it might feel like a little strain. And I'm not asking you to diagnose this. I'm sure everybody does that. What I'm saying is I've noticed that, man, if I don't stretch, um, uh, I don't like IT band area. If I don't stretch that real good before a round, right? Get it warmed up, if you will. I know you're big on that too. Um, I start to experience what I guess you would consider minor injuries where you got to let that kind of recover. Um, what, so stretching is something now I'm doing this like generic full body stretch. I'll start with my head. Um, I'll do my arms. I'll kind of bend my chest for, or put my chest forward. You know, I'm trying to work down the whole body to my hips, my waist down to my legs and quads. Mm -hmm. Now you're the professional here in all seriousness. And I, I do not mind you judging me. What should I be doing like, for to become a better, healthier person? But I, it will translate to the disc golf course. Should I exercise beyond disc golf? And should there be a regiment that I do that's going to, because I like playing disc golf. Yeah, absolutely. So first off, no judging. I'm, a, I'm very much against judging <laughs> anybody uh, for anything. Uh, we all just need to start where we're at. And you know, that's how, that's, what's going to help us move forward is taking away judgment and say, Hey, I'm just, you know, this is where I'm at now. And what's the next little step I can have moving forward. Um, the great thing about disc golf is you can play every day. And the bad thing about disc golf is you can play every day. Right. So <laughs> it puts so much stress on our body, like a professional baseball player. If you went out to a pitcher and you were like, Hey, I want you to throw this uh, bucket of a hundred balls every single day um, at, at the fastest you can, they would say no, because they know that they're putting too much stress on their body. They're not yeah. allowing for enough recovery. So that's one of the biggest issues in disc golf is because we can play every day because it's so much fun to play because of the community helps really drive us out there. We're overworking our body. There's a pitch. Baseball players have pitch counts, mm -hmm. right? Uh, pitchers, they have pitch counts. 
they're managing the stress uh, and the amplitude uh, on their on their shoulder and on their hips and everything. So the first thing I always tell people is look at what your pitch count is. If you're going out and you're throwing every day uh, as hard as you can, that's going to overstress the body. Now I would say for uh, you is the first thing I tell everyone is start warming up. And I'm glad to hear that you're doing a generic warm up. Um, I would encourage you to try the disc golf strong pre round warm up that I put out. Uh, is that for um, is that free back. and available public or I don't mind paying absolutely. For it <laughs> nope, it's free. Go to discgolfstrong.com forward slash disc golf athlete and you just in your email send you the warm up. It's a full pre round warm up um, that you can. There's videos. There's an ebook. Everything. Uh, it's also on the disc golf strong app and it's free. And it's the same one that you're going to see the pros doing uh, out on tour, um, the halos and the upper back rotations and the hip circles and all that. So that is where we're taking movements that are, you know, they don't look like a soccer warm up because we're not soccer athletes. It's going to be very specific to what we're doing in disc golf, right? Well, you call so it that a war- would be you're calling first- it a warm up and that's different than like stretching, right? No, that's the, that's the same thing. Okay. So, uh, yeah, so it's dynamic stretching. So I don't really, I don't recommend static stretching, which is like the old stretch and hold we've always done in the past. Right. I was going to bring that up. We did that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We did that because that's what we thought, like, that's what we did in high school. That's what we did (laughs) in middle school. That's what I did in military. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Right. But research, research has shown that, uh, static stretching is not the best before performance. And it doesn't really um, get you more flexible. Like it feels good, but it doesn't get you more flexible. They say people that people that have to stretch a lot, like always have to stretch a lot. Uh, they never like reach a point mm. where they're like, I, I arrived, like I'm stretched, yeah. right? So it's not necessarily static stretching, even though it feels good and it can be applicable in certain cases, especially after your round, after after um, performance, athletic activity. But really, it's dynamic stretching. So it's moving your joints, moving your muscles through its full range of motion um, is going to be better for you. You're warming up the tissues, the muscle tissues, the tendon, ligaments area. You're increasing blood flow. uh, You're stimulating your nervous system. So stick with dynamic stretching, which is the warm-up that you see in the the pre-round warm-up. Will that allow me to just continue at the pace that I'm at, or should I also begin an exercise? Like I'll call it a workout, I guess, but should I begin an exercise regimen? Is that going to translate to then obviously to the course as well? Or am I okay if I just want to be a middle of the road disc golfer, just getting my warm up in? Yeah. So, um, I would say that you need to implementing some sort of training uh, into your weekly routine would be the most ideal route. Okay. Uh, I, I call it training versus exercise or workout. It's semantics. Uh, but the reason I call it training is, uh, when we think about exercising or we think about working out, um, most of the time the goal for exercising or working out is sweating, breathing hard, feeling like we, you know, have to crawl out of the gym where, what we train training is working out with a purpose. It's not saying, Hey, uh, there's 700,000 exercises you can select from on YouTube. Let me just pick one and do it. Um, it's saying, okay, let's filter this down. And training is this 
movement is going to have a specific outcome to improve you as a disc golf athlete. So absolutely going and just doing even just one or two exercises. Now I'm going to call them exercises versus exercising. Mm -hmm. Doing one or two exercises is going to be beneficial. It's going to carry over. The, the, the brain's going to like it. The body's going to like it. It's going to help you be more resilient. It's going to help you, uh, you know, improve your performance. So, but the big thing is people think that in order for it to be effective, it needs to be long. It needs to be arduous. It needs to be like, okay, I didn't sweat, so I didn't see any benefit. That's not true, right? Uh, effort does not equal effectiveness. There, when, when I got up to working at the top ranks of the NHL, I walked in there and I was like, oh man, I am here. There's Tamu Solani. There's, you know, Ryan Getzlaff. I'm going to, Ryan Getzlaff, I'm going to see like the, the top uh, professional hockey players, athletes in the world. They're going to be doing the craziest stuff. Not even close. Because my strength coach said, hey, these are athletes, professional athletes, not professional exercisers. So, we're doing the things that are specific for them. So it doesn't always have to look hard. It doesn't always have, doesn't have to crush you to be effective. So my, my, I guess my takeaway message for you is even one, even one exercise, even uh, two minutes of movement is going to be better than zero minutes of movement, right? It doesn't need to be 30 minutes for it to be effective. Even just two minutes of something is going to be better because that's how you that's how you get results yeah. like over time right that consistency i've been playing i've been playing a guitar since i was 13 i'll be 39 in a few weeks i started playing guitar i should be you would think <laughs> like, when good. i pick up a guitar you would think i'm really good yeah. i'm not i'm like a three to five year guitar player why because i would pick up a guitar and for like a month i would just go hard and I would go so hard that I would like put it down and not pick it up for like another year or so. If I did five minutes of guitar practice every day since I was 13, I'd probably Man. like be in a band right Man. now. Yeah. Right? What you're telling that, us. That's exactly how I am with the piano. Like I was in a cover band for a little bit with my parents and a bunch of their friends. And so I spent every single day practicing every single 70s and 80s song that I could think of that would be good for the band. Since the band kind of disbanded as of recent the other day I went to sit down because I have my keyboard in my room. I went to sit down and play and I was like, one, I can't remember half the songs or like half the chords. And then two, I was like, I'm butchering these solos compared to before I used, I, I could do it blindfolded. No issue. So it was a great, the, that was something I needed to hear. And I'm sure many of our subscribers and followers and listeners needed to hear. My wife is thanking you for saying that too, because I tend to be all right, it's time to start exercising. It's time for me to change my lifestyle and I will go hard i'm talking a thousand percent the first day and no joke i'm the guy that after that little workout session i'm crawling down the hall throwing up in the toilet in the bathroom like sorry to say all that but like that's how i feel like it's a thousand percent or none but it's and i see our chat board talking about this as well as saying wow that is a great great insight you provided it's like just like you said with the guitar five minutes a day for that long is better than doing it hard, hard, hard for a short period of time, putting it down for a couple of weeks. Like it's better. So thank you for that. Mm -hmm. um, I, totally. I, yeah. I had kind of like two last things and I can kind of join them together on the physical aspect of what we're talking about. But Brody had tweeted, you know, Hey, I got to learn how to prepare for five hour rounds or waiting 20 minutes between T uh, like, you know, T pads teeing off on the next hole or whatever. 
I remember last year, mm-hmm. every single time you would see Kevin Jones on the live coverage, when they're in a backup, he was stretching out his back or he's stretching out the shoulders. If people kind of like give a quick tip on this, if people are waiting long periods of time, should they be doing those stretches that you're talking about, like keeping that mobility up and making, you know, even doing the halos, you know, should they be doing that as in the middle of their round or is that kind of like just before the round? Absolutely. Uh, uh, you know, the, the disc golf strong period warm up, you do it before your round and then you can do elements of it during your round. So if you're on a long backup, keep your body active, keep your, keep your body active in your, in your mind and your mental game quiet, your mind quiet, right? So that's a time for the body to stay moving and the mind do some breath work, do some focus work, you know, kind of tune things out. That's, those are, look for those little opportunities um, to, to excel. For, so when you're going back up and you're going to the next mm-hmm. T-pad, it's your time to throw. Um, you've, you've been keeping your body primed and your, and your mind clear. Yeah. And I feel like that's translating into this topic. Somebody had asked a question earlier when we posted about it. Um, that, And this is the way I translated it. In disc golf, and it seems to be the case, if you're not first place at an event, you kind of failed is how it's uh-huh. observed. I've failed. Now, people who are people who are working hard with whether it's your program or they're just physically working hard with another guy or another program or themselves, how do you convince them that like, listen, you're not failing. It's not that what you're doing is failing. This is still important no matter how you place. Mm-hmm. Um, it's mm-hmm. a process, right? It's a process. It's not a switch that gets turned on and now you're just going to start winning every event. So how do you communicate this no. to people? It, is it that five minutes a day? Is that what we're talking about? It's, it's just keep doing it. You're going to get better. Don't worry about the placement at an event. It's a process. Yeah. Yeah. You got to focus on the process. Absolutely. You know, the, we are so outcome driven because that's, you know, we, that's how we tend to, uh, place ourselves against other competitors and, and inside the sport, we think about the outcome, but that's not what we want to focus on. We want to focus on what are the things that I'm doing to get better and let everything else take care of itself. Um, you know, there's a great book called Mind Gym and Athlete's Guide to Inner Excellence. And in there, he talks about uh, this baseball player, professional baseball player that went to Japan for a little while and, and played there. And when this baseball cl- player came back to the United States, uh, he said in, in, in the Japan, they have a saying that in the United States, they play baseball in Japan. We work baseball, mm. right? So it's showing up every, if you're, let's say you're a pro every day. Okay. Let's just even make it, you know, Monday through Friday. What am I doing today to get better? What are the small little things that I'm focusing on, right? Because that's how we get better is I'm working disc golf. Let's say you're like, well, I'm not a pro, but I just, you know, I'm an am and I do want to get better. Okay, what are little things through the week that I can work disc golf to get better outside of just playing around? Because that's how you get the confidence. That's how you work on what uh, the process is. Because you just, you know, as long as you've worked on that stuff, you've worked on that, that process, the results, the outcome, you let that take care of it, take care of itself because we get so outcome focused and that's not how most people, uh, you know, 
succeed in life. They, the, the, the top people, they just show up, they put in the work consistently and they let the results speak for themselves. And then they self-reflect, they go, okay, I didn't do, I, you know, my level of performance, my standings was not what I, you know, what it turned out to be. What do I got to do to get better? Like, you know, win or win or learn. Tory Hunter um, from baseball, mm-hmm. he once said that, uh, he once say, stated that, uh, you know, he, if you, in baseball, if you are batting 300, right, that means that 70% of the time you're getting an out, right? So only 30% of the time, he goes, that's an F. Where if you're, if you bat 300, you're basically like an F you know, yeah. performing as an F as a hitter. Yeah. Right. But if you, if you bat at 300, if you you hit, you, uh, make contact, get on base 30% of the time. And you do that over the course of a, you know, your career, you're a hall of fame. Yeah. You're getting paid. Millions. Right. So <laughs> yeah, that's what we have. That's what they think about. If you, if you are batting in a game and you strike out three times, you get up the plate fourth time bases are loaded. You can't be thinking like, Oh, what do people think of me? Like, Oh man, I already struck out three times. Like you gotta be thinking like I'm here. Like yeah. I've put in the work and my goal, my, you know, I just need to hit ball to bat, yeah. you know, or bat to ball. Right. That's what you got to focus on. Um, but we don't focus on that much in disc golf. It's more, where are my standings? Yep. What am I doing? Right. Mm-hmm. But, and I know I, I you know, I kind of be lengthy with my answers, but I want to make sure I hit hit certain points here, and you know, because that kind of all melts together. Yeah. Going back to the athlete identity as an athlete, you have to be comfortable with your whatever ceiling you set as an athlete. Okay, so if you first determine your acceptable level of ceiling, and you say, "Hey, my acceptable level of ceiling is." I go out on tour, I finish middle of the pack, but I have an amazing time. I, you know, really get to experience tour life. There's nothing wrong with that. But if your acceptable level of ceiling, ceiling level is you want to be top 10, but yet on tour, you're spending most of your time out enjoying yourself and you're not, you know, out there grinding, working disc golf, you're going to get disappointed because the results aren't going to be there. And that's not just on tour. That's it. So my, my, uh, one of my mentors in strength conditioning, he's trained Olympians and throw he's a big throwing athlete, mm. trained high school and college. He told me one time, he said, he tells his college throwers and his high school throwers, like when they get upset after a performance, they go, Hey, you're not good enough to be disappointed. <laughs> All right. I love that. So he's like, he's like, you're not good enough. If this is, if you're an Olympian and you're going for the gold and you don't get it and you put Damn. in years and years of work be disappointed but if you're a high school athlete you're a college athlete yeah. and you got full-time school and you got this and you got that and you're chasing you know girls or guys and this, you know and you're not winning wow don't be disappointed yeah. say hey this is this is where i'm at like you know wow. and and it, it helps with it helps with getting rid of that that outcome focus because you go hey i 
This is where yeah, I have to put Nick on the spot. No, but is this is this resonating with Nick well, at all? So he's obviously so, aspiring, like he's yeah. aspiring. But I, I play with him, but and I'm just gonna call you out. He gets really frustrated with his gameplay, and that's because I yeah. think he has this expectation. But your coaching right now would be to say, "This is where you are. Kind yeah. of accept that, and what's your next step to get better." And I, I'll kind of hit on both of what absolutely. Yeah, I'll hit on what both Seth said and what you said, Matt. Is you know, I obviously I get frustrated with myself because I know how I have played. Mm. And what frustrates me is more is like, hey, last year at this tournament, you know, I averaged 1010. And this year I averaged 980. Like, how did I get worse in a year? And so I guess kind of, you know, what Seth was saying, and I'm not making an excuse out of this at all, because I'm really not, <laughs> but like, you know, I'm not out, you know, at a dorm right now or anything. I, you know, I live at home. But I work full time, and as the weather gets nicer for disc golf, I actually play less disc golf because mm. I work in a part of construction to where the second that you know the sun comes up, I've already been working for three hours usually. When the sun starts going down, mm -hmm. I'm usually sometimes just getting getting home from work, depending on how long the blasting site is going on for. So it's yeah, you know, I don't get to play as much as I'd like to. And then, you know, it's 830 at night at this point. I try to go to the gym. I do a quick hour workout and it's like, but now, to now Seth's it's point, 930. Yeah, but night. to Seth's point, and I don't know if this helps Nick at all, but to Seth's point, that's where you are right now. You yeah. are, you're recognizing those things. You're recognizing so, I have work. I have other obligations, all these yeah. things. Like, how can you be mad or frustrated at yourself for playing that way when that is your obligations? Now, yeah. that's not to say if you're I'm quitting like, my job, I was going to say, <laughs> well, I was going to say, if you have steps to be like, Hey, yeah. I really want to get out there thousand mm -hmm. plus rated, whatever. I think there would be, have to be some shifts and changes. Yeah. And that's what I'm hearing Seth say, at least like take where you are. And if you yeah. want to get better, what are those steps? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, let's get out of the physical. I remember yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Let me tell you, I remember, I remember one time I was walking with Paige at the Memorial and Paige is like, so Seth, do you ever think you'd want to like come here and compete in these tournaments as well? I was like, no, I don't really have a desire to do that right now. She's like, really? You don't want to compete at that level? I said, you know, my goal is to be a thousand rated strength coach, mm. not a thousand rated player right now. Mm -hmm. Because if I wanted to be a thousand rated player, I shouldn't be here with you. I should be back doing what I need yeah. to do to get out there and play a tournament, right? So I'm comfortable with where I play right now when I go out because I'm I'm focused so heavily on working with athletes and working with the sport and trying to you know push the sport forward and push us forward as athletes that I I I take Dan John's you know uh, quote to heart like. You know, like you're not good enough to be disappointed. If I want to do more, and this is for anyone, if you're outcome focused, look at it and go, okay, what am I doing right now? Oh, okay. I'm at this season of my life where I've got all this going on and I've got all these expectations, all these other things. So if something needs to change, something needs to change. Like if, mm -hmm. if, if something's going to change, something needs to change. And then that, that allows you to be comfortable with like, what are the small little things I, I have to do? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. what is what do I have to do right now to get better? Now, I would say strength and like fitness. I would say mental game. I would say all that. That's important. But just even in your practice, you know, I was talking to an athlete the other day about this uh, who played team sports. And I said, you know, what are you doing with your field work during the week? Mm -hmm. What's your plan? What's your plan? didn't have much of a plan as far as like, this is what I do. I said, well, when, when you went to 
practice, was your coach, did, did you expect your coach to be like, maybe we'll do a little bit of this and I don't know, maybe we'll do some of that. No, like your coach had a plan and said, okay, this is this person, this is this player's strength. These are this player's weaknesses. This is the team's strength, the team's weaknesses. This is what we're focusing on today. So we kind of have to be our own little coach and getting real with where we're at in the moment helps us uh, better identify the steps that we need to take to move ourselves forward. But if we're just focused on the outcome, that's just going to upset us and that ain't going to do anything for us in the long run. That's such a good point. And what's great about it is because it brings up my next point, (laughs) because mentally that is exhausting. When you're getting disappointed by consistently how you're playing when you're not at a place that you would like to be, that's mentally draining. I have felt this year mentally drained because of my disc golf game. I've played three tournaments and a majority of my rounds I've shot below my rating. And believe me, that is like, I say ratings aren't important and that's a whole different subject, but right (laughs) now in disc golf, yeah, (laughs) right now in disc golf, ratings are important. And so when I don't, you know, obviously play to that rating, it's very frustrating. And so I I love what you're saying. Mm -hmm. It's like your coach obviously has a plan and to everyone listening right now, Seth is literally that guy who has a plan for your kind of health and wellness in disc golf when it comes to the mobility aspect, like you are that guy right now, you're our coach at the moment. And so I hope, I hope you gain people. Cause like this is, it's incredible. I, lo- I love having guests on who just talk about something completely different than what we've been talking about. <laughs> yeah. Cause it like fires me up and I just want to go play disc golf now and go do stretching and like try to become a better athlete. But anyways, back to the mental side of it. Cause this was a huge, mm-hmm. Matt had posted on Facebook earlier and ask, you know, people ask some questions. And a lot of questions that we did get asked was instead of the physical aspect that we should be training for, how do we mentally train for that? Like, do you feel like you're equipped to kind of answer in a professional manner of like how we mentally should be training as well? Well, all right. So, and because th- that way I don't have to interject later. Let me get out my thoughts too. And you're you can kind of share everything. No, it's <laughs> like physiologically, obviously, the way we think can affect it, it does affect our body. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he's saying like, what should we do to train for that? I'm also going to add to that. If you can, is what can we do during a disc golf round? I mean, I know there's things like deep breaths. Maybe that's something it's the thought process, focus on this, focus on that. What would you recommend as meditation? I mean, all that stuff. So like, what's your thought process on mental game and how it involves in this part of disc golf? Yeah, absolutely. Those are great questions. So from, a, from the mental background side of things, like, you know, I was very fortunate during my schooling to be with uh, Dr. Ken Revisa, who's passed, you know, since passed, but he was one of the pretty much like the top uh, expert in the world on sports psychology. And so to learn from him about the mental side of the sport and that book knowledge and also reaping the, you know, what I could from him was huge. Um, but then on the other side, a lot of my mental, training and and what I focus on with my athletes and even with myself comes from my background of not competing as an athlete, but working as, you know, in, in search and rescue, uh, working on an ambulance, you have to develop a, uh, you have to grow into a mindset and a, and a mental practice that helps you perform under pressure that helps you, you know, get comfortable being uncomfortable, that helps you focus on the process and not on the outcome, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of my background of being out there and getting on scene 
and you know there's people on the ground and cars are flipped i can't think about like oh is this person going to live or not i just have to focus on what i'm doing in the moment i have to shut off all the other distractions i have to shut off like am i adequate or not should this be me out here <laughs> yeah. like i have to get yeah. in there and i have to do it right so the same thing in sport is you got to put in the work and then you when you time to show up you got to shut everything off and just do so you got both sides there right you have uh what goes on in the tournament and what goes on outside the tournament off the course right the big thing with the mental game is is people we tend to want a better mental game right when we need it most right so we don't necessarily think about putting in the reps of what are mental strategies that I can focus on during my practice rounds what are things like visualization I can do at night what are breathing that I need to be able to you know have a breath work uh, um, practice right so we don't do it off the course but then we're in the middle we're going triple bogey and we're like okay what was that one thing I read in that one book by yeah. Barbara Tella that one time like like that's not where it needs to happen right it needs to happen off the course so that you can just it just it's a no-brainer. You don't even have to think about it. You immediately go into your breath. Can you, you immediately go into Can your you right now just mm -hmm. break down for us literally it, it may seem weird or awkward. I'm I would I don't want to do too much dead air, but like what is a breathing practice, a very simple one that you could do? So a simple one that you can start doing right away is box breathing or square breathing. Okay. So it's essentially where you breathe in for four seconds into your nose, mouth closed, breathe in for four seconds and breathe into your belly. So you don't want to go, okay, that elicits a stress response kind of in our body, okay, a fight or flight response, chest breathing. So breathe four seconds into your nose and your belly and then hold for four seconds and then exhale for four seconds and then hold for four seconds. Okay, so it's like we're 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 painting okay, the yeah. corners of a, That's a, where the box, a comes box from. here, right? Gotcha. Right, exactly. So four seconds in, four second hold, four seconds out. I already feel better. Four seconds hold. <laughs> for real. And in a non-weird yeah. way, like Good. breathing like that, obviously yeah. it makes you feel well, alive. It, it's and I could be totally wrong about this, but I'm pretty sure I either read it or heard about it. Um when we are babies, we actually breathe more into our stomach than we do our chest and if you're someone who wants to be a good singer, I'm pretty sure that's how you're also supposed to breathe. Like you're not supposed to kind of puff out your chest when you're breathing. You're supposed to more go into kind of like the stomach. Like your stomach should be pushing out kind of. Mm. Yes. Yeah, so, so we breathe approximately 22 to 24,000 times a day. Um, we are born as belly breathers or also called diaphragmatic breathers. So we use this diaphragm muscle to breathe, pull the air in and out. Right. Well, we become chest breathers chest breathing is a stress response breathing it's a fight or flight it's like i need to run from that dinosaur right now i need to get a lot of oxygen flow right now right or i need to fight something that's not where peak performance happens that's where running away happens that's where like getting in there and getting crazy happens when peak performance happens and just life happens when we're breathing through our diaphragm this this shirt original strength to keep your head up mm -hmm. that i teach for it's i've been teaching for him for years it's all about what did we do as babies so it's interesting that you mentioned that how did we move we rocked our roll yeah. we moved our head we breathed through our diaphragm 
as adults, we tend to become chest breathers and we get really tight and constricted. If you're, if your trap muscles, if your back muscles, your chest muscles, they're not made to like elevate your rib cage to bring in airflow 22 to 24,000 times a day. So they become very tight. They become very constricted and are also anxiety, panic disorder, PTSD. I, I'm not very, I'm not shy about that. I had PTSD and stuff from the military and from the ambulance. Belly breathing was huge. Mm-hmm. The mm. top performers in the world, belly breathing. You heard Kevin Jones talk about yep. it on DGN the other day. Eagle, we're always talking about breath breath work. Ricky called me uh, two days ago, and we talked about his breathing uh, and and how impactful it was for him this weekend. So you gotta start doing a breath work. But the biggest thing is you have to do it before the tournament, and you have to cultivate that practice. It has to be just as important as putting. It just has to be mm-hmm. just as important as driving, just like your nutrition. All that needs to, all that affects what you do on the course. But you need it. There's mental toughness. I saw Hannah mentioned about this, like mental in the comment. Um, what is mental toughness? Yeah. Well, there's there's mental toughness, right? There's mental toughness with the work, and there's mental toughness with the the tournament. Okay, the 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 sport. Those are two different things. Mental toughness with work, that's that more, you know, like, hey, I've got to think about all the things. I've got to grind. I've got to be consistent. I've got to show up, all that. That's totally different than ter- tournament. Tournament's not mental toughness. It's that, It's really like mental toughness is the ability to quiet your mind, to detach from distractions, to stay in a flow state, and to really focus on only like what you can control and only throw one shot at a time. Like, that is tough to be able to get away from everything else. That's 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 the performance zone. That's the optimal zone. That's different than the work zone, the work toughness. But you gotta have you gotta kind of have both. And it's not mama mentality tough mm-hmm. because people talk about mama mentality, right? Yeah. And they go, oh, that's I gotta learn from. I gotta learn what is something that you know mama mentality. I, I mama mentality was not what. Kobe Bryant did on the on the court. Mamba mentality was what Kobe Bryant did from the moment he woke up to the moment he went to bed every single day. He brought my, it it was his it was how he did his you know his work. It was how he was with his family. Yeah. It's different. It, we we can't just go from if you don't play if you don't practice off the course all fired up and like oh but then you get on the course at a tournament and you try to <laughs> yeah. play that way. Your brain's like, what are you doing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you just, you just, you know, you, the, you did not practice how you're playing right now. Yeah. So you need to practice how you play. One thing to that adversity. That's a big thing with the mental game that we don't have, have in other sports. Right. Uh, if you are in baseball, so let's just take Paul, for example, Paul, was a, a a great baseball athlete in high school, right? And I'm sure before that, right? He was under adversity every single day he showed up to practice because if he just mailed it in during a practice, his coach was like, "You on the bench? That person wants it more. Yeah. Get out here, right?" So you're practicing under adversity, like every day, mm-hmm. every time. When I go to when I go to uh, the they always talk about, and I saw this when you go to Arizona and you see the rookies trying to get on the MLB teams, right? Yep. They're out there. They're 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 pushing. They're they're playing better than you've ever seen anyone play before. 
you know, because they're, they're, they're saying, this is my chance. They're under adversity the entire time because they could be kicked off the team and that's it. In disc golf, a lot of times our practice rounds, we got five or six people We're you know, shooting it, you know, we're, we're joking around, we're throwing shots here, throwing shots there, having a great time. And then the next day it's like, everything's on the line, mm-hmm. you know, you gotta, you gotta perform. It's almost no as if the way I interpret it totally sometimes, different. it's almost as if disc golf becomes your enemy. Like that's what your body and your brain think. Yeah. It's like, this is yeah. not your friend. <laughs> so you react to that yeah. physiologically. Yeah. NFL, like, you know, in, 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 during an NFL game, that's not like in the NFL, in, in the actual game is probably like the least amount of stress for them because they've had to not make sure they're not getting cut or they're not taken off the field and they don't even get, they don't even get to put a, a, a jersey on yeah. because they didn't show up that week, yep. you know, in practice. So we need to have more adversity and figure out ways to put more adversity and you know that's for another podcast yeah. later. Yeah. I have we will have you on another but time. More. There's a lot of good content here. <laughs> yeah. There is a lot of good content. No. I think yeah, I love uh, that. And so- I think Andrew Fish. I've said this before. Andrew Fish tweeted out a while ago. It was you know practice with a purpose. Like don't just walk outside your house and throw up fifty putts and think that that practice was really good because it probably it could have potentially actually hurt your game more so than helped it. Like if you're gonna go out and practice like. Make sure you're stretching out. Make sure you are getting yourself warmed up so you don't go out there, throw 50 putts, and then, okay, like 45 of them went in or 40 of them went in. That's probably not working. Like when I when I used to play basketball for high school and college, we didn't do slow scrimmages or anything. Like when I scrimmaged my teammates, they weren't teammates anymore. They became opponents. They became the team that I was trying to be, and there was no like, you know, if I felt like if I would have fouled someone hard in a real game, then I'm going to do that to my teammate because I want him to toughen up and I need to toughen up in a certain area. So it was like we practice with intensity, kind of that, like you were saying, the mama mentality wasn't just Kobe in the last minute of a game, you know, scoring however many points and coming back and having a great clutch win. It was at three in the morning when he woke up to work out. It was at 4.30 when he went back home to get his kids ready for school. And then it was 6 o'clock when he put his kids on the bus and went back to the gym to do a shoot-around. Like, that was the actual Mamba mentality. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Insane. Yep. You got it. Yeah, and practice how you, you know, you're going to play how you practice. Mm-hmm. So, if you don't pa- practice with fire, don't try playing under fire because your body and your mind are not going to respond well to that, right? People will get fired up and they'll be thinking, Oh, you need to have that intensity. (laughs) Well, there's a saying, you know, fuel can cook your food or it can burn your house down. Right. If you're not used to playing with that intensity and that fire, um, you're going to burn your house down. You're not going to cook your food. So should should I put like a thousand or $10,000 on the line against Nick to practice the way that I want to? No, because you'll be very poor very quickly. (laughs) I don't know, man, if that's on the line, I'm going to step my, I'll practice for a good solid month. But um, there you go. All right. I'll, is I'll there anything harder. that we missed that is like really pertinent that you think you want to share before we move on? Um, I would say, uh, no. Well, going back just to answer a comment real quick that I saw that mm-hmm. uh, that someone had asked a question sure. about what are some of the things that people do wrong in disc golf. I wouldn't say that they do wrong, but I would say one thing that I just posted a something on my Instagram about this the other day, uh, a little image. I said. You can't apply a technique solution to a movement problem. 
All right. So technique is so huge in our sport and we need it. We need good technique. Uh, we don't always need to be improving our technique, but if our body, if we're top, if we're locked up in our upper back, uh, because we have no rotational mobility mm -hmm. to our upper back or our hips are locked up or our hips are very unstable. We have joint instability. Our that we're just drilling probably poor technique because our body can't even get into that position that drill and say, okay, I feel really comfortable in this drill. No, it's probably compensating. So you have to think, am I, if it, how do I need to improve? Do I need to improve technique? For most people, that's up here at the top of the pyramid. The big, big base of the pyramid is making sure that your movement is right, making sure that you have adequate mobility, that you have adequate stability, that you have adequate strength, because that is what you need to focus on first. People go, oh, well, uh, my elbow hurts, so I just need to work on technique. Mm -hmm. well, it's probably elbow hurts, maybe one, because you're throwing like a thousand shots a week yep. with no recovery, but also it's probably your shoulder's not stable or your core's not firing. So mm. don't apply a technique solution to a movement problem. Apply a movement solution to a movement problem. Make sure that you can actually move your body well and then move it often through technique. So a lot of the different things, you know, oh, mobility exercises, what are the best? What are the, you know, comes down to simplifying. And we'll stop there. I know I can talk forever. Yeah. Uh, we simplifying all can. your move. <laughs> Yeah, I like I, I <laughs> have Nick something I already I already have something in my head that I want to add to this. Like, it's insane. <laughs> the Nick and Matt show. We go on and on and yeah. on. Like, but this is good. But this is quality. I haven't cut you off, Seth. I don't want to because this is good quality. Go ahead. Uh, is just really is a, going back to what I said earlier in the podcast of, you know, do you have to, like taking away from working out and exercising to um, training? That is what we focus on when we select exercise and stuff. People will look and go, oh, uh, I looked at your Instagram and where are like the kettlebell snatches and where are like the crazy barbell deadlifts? It's, it's not about complexity. Uh, it's about simplicity to get you the results as an athlete. So think not what are the 700 things I should be doing. Think about like what's one or two things I can do right now. And that's what's most important. I, my goal as a strength coach is not to uh, entertain people uh, with as many exercises as I can, as I can throw at mm -hmm. them. It's to make sure that you're doing specific things. People go, oh, I, I, you know, I want to improve my upper back mobility. What are the 50 things I should do? Just do some upper back rotations and start there yeah. and just be consistent with that. I've got that on my YouTube channel. And, and be, be, be good with that and then we'll move on. And we'll move on a little bit. We'll move on a little bit, right? So those are two big things I wanted to hammer on uh, or to, to, to talk about is make sure it's not always a technique solution, even though I uh, technique is important yeah. in disc golf, but don't apply it to a movement problem and start small and build up from there. Don't think you need to do some of these programs you see online that are – the goal is to literally make you sweat and make you crawl to the crawl out of yeah. the house that's not that's a professional yeah. exerciser not a professional athlete that, yeah and i'm gonna say this really quick before we go and judge that disc golfer last thing matt i swear i've never really heard that you know the technique not always being the solution compared to you know what potentially is causing something is your movement you know your mobility and everything like that like in 2015 i was playing basketball on an outside court and i blew my mcl 
now I noticed, especially over the last few years, since I work in the rock industry, a lot of what I do is walking on rocks. My knees hurt. It happens. But a lot of what happens is I develop this little hop in my step, kind of my X step. And when I land, I swoop down and I've noticed that. And it's literally because I've lost confidence in landing and planting on that right foot. And so it kind of causes me to like gently, gracefully go into it because I've never been an explosive player. Like mm-hmm. I like I like to say back uh-huh. in 2013, I look at old form and it was like, damn, I had more kind of like hip rotation explosiveness back then than I do in 2020. You know, I feel like I'm a better athlete than I was in 2013. Maybe I'm not, but I feel like I am. So you and I, we're gonna have to DM about that. It's we're gonna, gonna have, cost you. Yeah. Oh, dude, I'm I'm ready to pay. No. I, I'd pay a hundred dollars to play Yarva Disc Golf Course. <laughs> Believe me, you, you know I'll pay. No, do it because most acute injuries, people go, "Oh, what did I just do right there that hurt my knee? What did I just do right there that hurt my hip?" They're most chronic little things, little stressors over and over again through life, through our daily work, through how we, you know, sit and all that. And then all of a sudden, boom, it becomes acute in that moment. Mm -hmm. But it's those little chronic things, those chronic stressors that lead up to that acute injury. So people think, what did I, how did I just hurt my shoulder right now? Like, was it a technique thing? No, it was rep after rep after rep of your shoulder not being stable enough and just moving out of position for a thousand reps of a sidearm, forehand, and now it goes. So it's, looking at those little things that you can do yeah. to help you physically. Dang. Wow. Nick, I was just thinking, we're going to judge that disc golfer now. We're not teasing anyone, Dude, but I was just myself. thinking. Okay. But I was just thinking, I don't know why I was judging your game earlier this week, but I was like, Nick is <laughs> Nick is not an explosive thrower. Like, you see people that are explosive. I'm like, he still throws 100 feet further than me, but, like, he doesn't do it explosively. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was a good observation, Nick, and thanks for your input, Seth. Yeah. So we're not letting you go yet, Seth. But we are having you participate in what everybody, they loved your segment here, but everybody's been going, oh, judge that disc golfer, judge that disc golfer, let's get to it. So, um, that's what we do. We love to judge people. We love to judge disc golfers. So (laughs) let's go ahead. In In a good way. This is a fun judging. All right, here we go. Let's pull it up and we'll start the game. Judge that disc golfer. The game show where you judge a disc golfer you've never met. Hey man, welcome on the Nick and Matt show. My name is Matt, what's your name? I'm Rocky Batty. All right, Rocky. So, let's find out a little bit about your disc golf game, okay? How long have you been playing for? I've been playing for about four years now. Okay, so four years, in those four years, have you ever played in a competition? I have. Okay, what's the best finish you've ever had? And then let us know the division you played. Uh, probably a win in advance, I guess, would be the best win, I don't know. Okay, a win in advance. Do you have a PDGA number? I do. 89754. 89. So you're less than 100,000. You've been playing for four years. Um, let's get right to it here, okay? How far can you throw a disc? How far can I throw? Okay, so he asks repeatedly, how far can I throw? Now, we already know how the game goes. We're going to let Nick go first. Nick, how far do you think Rocky can throw? 450 feet 450 feet why are you judging it like that uh i might know him a little bit so i'm kind of i feel like he's just a long thrower uh, and every hold single, on every single time i guess have you seen him throw before not in, 
not in years, probably probably since 2018, I think. And I, okay. I've never played a legitimate round with him. I just know, like Rocky and I have met. We've had conversations before, but we I don't oh. I don't think we've ever played a, a round of disc golf together. <laughs> okay. But also, every single time that I guess 250, 300 feet, like I think would be realistic. They're always like, oh, dude, I throw like 750 feet, 360. I'm okay, like, so here okay. It, this is an advantage for you in a way, though, Seth. He guessed 450. Now, this is the over-under now. You pick over or under. You got uh, which way do you think it might go? So um, that's what Nick guessed. What do you guys, where do you go with? Well, I was going to say 450, but I'll go over. I'm going to say I, he assumes that he can throw about 475 uh, if all the conditions are right. Okay, so 475. I, I lose all this. <laughs> all right, let's see. Here we go. Here's What's his answer? I was down a little today. I can I can touch five over five. I got to five fifty is probably my tops once. Oh, unless we're talking about the Vermont. I threw six hundred on the distance time. <laughs> okay, so what is your final answer? We'll go six hundred perfect condition. On flat ground? Nah, a little little downhill, a little tailwind. Flat ground give me five five twenty. Okay, five hundred and twenty is what we're gonna go with on flat ground. Awesome. If I was to give you 10 putts from Circle's Edge, let's just say right here at hole 18 at Maple Hill, Circle's Edge, 10 putts, how many are gonna go in? Did I just play around or is it just right now? No, how it's many fresh. from Circle's Edge, hole 18? I think I'll make. Okay, so we cut him off, but there he is. He says, I think I'll make, and let's be clear, Seth, you, you Seth did win that. Yeah. Seth got the points on that other one. He said 475. So I, I clearly need to talk to every single 17, 18, 19 year old out there and learn how to throw further because I can't Holy even touch 500 cow. right now. So, wow, 500, 520. Like, and, and okay, so before we judge him too hard saying that's internet distance, which I'm sure a lot of people are thinking, yeah. I'd say he can throw incredibly yeah. far, but I would be interested to take a laser rangefinder out and just see if he's literally breaking 500. Like, but anyways, point two set. 500 is a lot. It is a it's, lot. Dude, that's a lot. But okay. anyways, let's go. All right. So fi over 500. And now we just asked him from Circle's Edge with 10 putters, how many go in? Seth, what's his answer going to be? Yeah, I, I'm going to go say 10 out of 10. I think he's very confident. I'm not going to say cocky. I'm just saying he's confident in his skills, which that's a good thing. You yeah. want to have confidence uh, that you're going to make him in. So I'm going to say from Circle's Edge, he's going to say 10 out of 10. I'm going to say 8 out of 10. Well, and, and Seth, you set yourself up, obviously, because he could have just said 9 and now he wins. <laughs> and then I would have ever, yeah. <laughs> that's that's true. Okay, that's okay. But that's okay. I want to be on the money. I don't want to be closest. I want to be on the money. So eight out of 10. Okay. Well, I'm going to give you a chance actually for a bonus question here, I think. All right. So let's see here. Six or seven. Anna. Okay. Six or seven. All right. Next question here is if you play. were to get a disc golf tattoo, okay, there's four options here. One is an individual single basket. Okay. The next is a putter hitting the front rim of a basket. Third is Tasmanian Devil 360 drive or a disc golf phrase. One of your favorites or maybe like death putt or grip it and rip it, something like that. So what would you choose? Okay, so we don't know him very well, but what disc golf tattoo does he choose? And the bonus question I was going to give you I actually had him go and putt. And I was going to try to do video, but I decided not to break it down. I had him go putt from Circle's Edge. For a bonus question, how many putts did he hit 
from Circle's Edge. This is a bonus question. So, uh, Seth, you're up. I'm going to say bonus question. He hits eight of them. Okay. Nick, what do you think? Um, and then I'm going to answer. Yeah, go ahead. Five. Okay. So the bonus question is a wash. None of you got it perfectly. And he was not very happy. And he wanted me to tell you that he hasn't played for almost a year. <laughs> he only oh. hit three, two or three. Um, so it's harder okay. than it's harder than it thinks. But now back to the disc golf tattoo question. Let's be clear again here. Um, uh, Nick got a point. So it's tied up one to one. Um, now yeah. we're on to uh, disc golf tattoos. And Nick, you answer first. Everyone seems to be going with the Tasmanian devil. So I'm going to go with that one. Okay. Do you remember the selections or do I need to repeat them for you, Seth? No, I remember the selections. I'm going to say that uh, he's a, looks like he's wearing a DD shirt. They talk, they do, they use a lot of phrases. So uh, if he's a huge DD fan, I would say that probably a phrase. Pretty good judgment, I think, taking in all the facts here. Let's see what he answers with. I'd go putter hit in the front of the cage. I feel like that happens quite often. Why not just get it on me? <laughs> okay, so putter hitting the front of the cage. And then finally, if you were to play in a competition round, so your next one coming up, and you had to choose unfavorable weather conditions, the three options are, would you rather play with 20 mile an hour winds, maybe gusting to 30, moderate to heavy rain consistently throughout the whole round or snowing maybe blizzard like conditions okay so we give him unfavorable weather conditions to choose from uh this is going to go oh yeah this is going to go to seth, seth. <clears throat> um okay. but on that disc golf tattoos i was a little surprised but here here would have been the one other piece of information you could have taken i gave you that bonus question and he just only hit two or three out of ten and then i asked him this question <laughs> i was gonna say right after is it literally because he just like six out of probably. ten times he hit the front of the rim <laughs> thought about that probably okay so <laughs> seth um what weather condition is he going to choose out of those three for his competitive round yeah. Where's he from again? Um, he didn't say yet, but I'll go ahead and, uh, okay. You can say it. All right. I'll say it. He's yeah. Cause Nick knows. Yeah. I was gonna say he's, he's from England. Boston. Okay. So yeah. Massachusetts. Okay. I'm going to say, I'm going to say, uh, consistent rain. Okay. Wind. Okay. So to be clear, we are tied at one-to-one, -one, right? Yeah. Okay. So if either of you get this right, you're the winner. Um, if not, We'll have to go to the tiebreaker, which is who is closest. So let's see what happens. Snow all day. Snow all day. Thought Where are you from? It. From Boston. All right. He's from up here in New England. <laughs> He's not the first to answer that. All right, man. We're glad to have you on the show. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. All right, man. I'll never understand why we play in the wintertime. And then there are people who are like, yeah, I would gladly do that. I'm like, dude. What? No. I don't know. Being from no. up here, it's not as big of a deal. But here's the still is. So here's the deal. There had to be a tiebreaker because it was tied at one to one, and Nick still loses because we go to the tiebreaker being how far could he throw, who was closest to the number, and because you had the over and he guessed over, you were the closest, Seth. So you are our episode 14 winner. Tell Nick what he won. Next time we see each other out on the road, I owe you lunch. <laughs> he owes. Ah. I owe 13 out of 14 people lunch.
I think the only person I beat was one of my buddies. So if anyone ever says that this game is rigged, it's 1,000% not because I'm literally sitting next to the guy. I could watch the interviews if I wanted to. I've sucked 13 weeks in a row. Oh, so, my gosh. Nah, next time, hopefully, you know, either uh, – hopefully next year, honestly. But when we do see mm -hmm. each other, I'll either, you know, buy you lunch one day or, or maybe we're all out for lunch, something like that. Or you come over to my house for MVP and we cook lunch. Awesome. There we go. Okay. So next up, segment, internet disc golf questions. Let's get right to it. Internet disc golf questions. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Nick and I, I, just... I think I said last week I didn't approve of that intro to it. I'm going to have to make one. I'm going to write one. Nick, <laughs> it's so cheesy, but it's excellent. <laughs> Internet disc golf. Yeah. Okay, so here we go. This is how it works. We picked off. I say picked off. Yeah, we stole. We found questions about disc golf. I saw this the today. <clears throat> okay, so I'm going to read them, and then we can give our input on them. It's more just to be in fun, lightheartedness, unless we also have some really good input, but we'll do that. So here comes the question number one that we found. If Cloud Breakers, Sexy Birds, Conrad Aviars, are going to bring the eventual huge resale prices. What if the manufacturers just sold them for, I don't know, $50 plus from the jump? And that money went to them and the players instead of resellers who might not even play and will funnel the money elsewhere. At least this way it would stay in the sport and help its players make a better living. So it's this release of the Cloud Breaker 2 today, gone in seconds. Should it, oh, what do you yeah. think, Nick? Um, I've actually talked about this a ton with people and I wouldn't be opposed to that. But at the same time, it ultimately comes down to the, the retailers. And you mean just like bumping the price up, like just yeah. go ahead and make it at like collector price. Yeah. I think last year or a year or two ago, whenever it was, I think prodigy had found a box in their warehouse of like 50 of the X ones, which was a really valuable disc to prodigy players. And they sold them for over the retail price because there was a limited run of them. They obviously knew that they were going to sell fast and they're probably going to get resold. I remember them selling them for more than I think what they normally are. Okay. Quick shout out. Nick's mom literally just I jumped in the chat board. Yeah. My mom, my mom <laughs> said, Nick, who, I, so I live, I live with my mom and dad. And, uh, she said, Nick, who cooks at your house? So my mom <laughs> will probably cook you lunch if you come to my house next year. That's so funny. Yeah. Well, okay. then I'll know, at least I'll know it's good. At least I know it's good. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> Very good. So <laughs> do you have any insight on this? What Do you have any thoughts on this, Seth? Like these collector discs, they sell out like that, and then they go on within minutes back up on resale like eBay. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you guys okay. jump in on that one more than me. It's not a topic <laughs> I think about often. I don't collect discs or anything. Right. But so. uh I can see, I can see your point. I can see yeah, your point. Yeah, so I think, and I'll just, I'll just kind of tie up that conversation. It's one of those things where, well, we didn't, we see this at Ledstone, didn't, um, Nate Heinel, didn't he like sell off those, was it Luna's or whatever, the black, the smoked ones? Oh, and the, they, yeah. $200 for a pair. The so like, ones. it was definitely sold up front at that price. And I thought, well, that's not a bad idea. Did you see what they were selling for though? And now they're reselling. Like yeah. 700 bucks for two of them. Yeah. So no matter what the retailers sell these collector discs for, they will be immediately put up yep. and sold higher. So I don't know. It's not a bad idea. Yep. Okay. So here's question number two. If your disc is stuck in a tree, after marking your lie, can you retrieve said disc and use it for the next shot? Or do you have to use another disc? 
had two buddies arguing about this yesterday and wanted me to be the tiebreaker, but I didn't know the rule. Nick, what do you got? Do you know the rule? I, do you know yeah. the rule on that, Seth? Have you ever had a disc stuck in a tree out there on the West Coast? I'm pretty sure because you mark it with a mini, you're allowed to reuse that disc. I think. I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna say yeah. I would say I've known that some in some instances, if you if it was depending how far up it was stuck, if it was just you know a couple meters up, you could get it very easily. You know, then I've seen it be used before, but not like <laughs> you know, hey, it's we let's throw stuff at it for five minutes because I really want to use that disc, but we've never gone, we've never applied it that way. Yeah. So, um, Nick's, Nick's chatting now yeah, with I'm, his mom. Yeah. Can you just, can you just click on it? He's like, I don't know what I'm clicking on. Oh. No, just the chat thing. Okay. Nick's, mom, Nick's sidetracked and his mom is totally embarrassing him right now. No, okay. she's not. I'd okay. never be embarrassed. Okay. No, but you're on the West coast and I feel like out in the West coast, that's where like the two meter rule comes from and all that. But, and technically, mm -hmm. If your disc is OB, that's a whole other question. Can you reuse that disc, Nick? If it's OB, can you reuse that disc? I feel like you can. Yeah. Okay. So then I, I think, think it would be can. the same thing regardless mm -hmm. in a tree. As long as it's marked, then you can use that disc. Yes, for sure. Okay. So here we go. Uh, question, I think this is number three. What's the lightest disc in your bag? Also, at what point is when a disc is too light? I'm reading this exactly how it is. I know in windy conditions you want a heavier disc. Lightest disc I have is 167 grams, looking to get much lighter discs. For example, I want to get 138 gram Blizzard Champion Destroyer, but I have no clue if that will be too light or how it will be thrown hard. Experiences? Uh, Seth, what weight discs do you throw in general? The, the uh, I usually throw max, um, but I do have uh, one disc that's 171, I think. And... I would say if you get lighter discs, you got to practice a lot. I mean, just practice throwing it. Most people don't put enough work, don't put enough reps in. So they can't consistent, get consistent with it. Nick, have you ever thrown like a 170 and then grabbed like a blizzard, like a 125? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what happens? It's awkward. Your timing is just a thousand percent off. Yeah. But I'll say that's the thing. Like uh, one of the kids that you and I have been playing with lately, he'll throw max weight drivers. And then for like long distance tailwind shots or whatever uphill, he throws like a 150 class destroyer. And you have to throw it on a massive hyzer flip. And it's like, it's almost, yeah, if you throw those correctly, they bomb. Like, they just go and go and go. But it's so hard to consistently get that timing down. I, I personally don't think it's worth it. Like, I have one Zeus in my bag that's, I think, 169 grams. And it's literally for uphill tailwind shots. Yeah, I think the, that, lightest, the lightest in my bag is probably like 167. Actually, the same as this this uh, question yeah. that got written down. I have thrown, though, like 150s because Hunter, actually, my son, 10-year-old, does throw lightweight plastic. And I'll every now and then in the backyard, I'll crush on like a 145 or 150. And I'm not going to lie. It comes – the distance comes way easier. But, mm -hmm. yes, the timing does feel a little funky. But it does come way easier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So that was question three. We've got a few more here. Okay. If anyone ever finds themselves playing in Tallahassee area, you should definitely check out the course at Tom Brown Park. And then uh, the YouTube.com is a picture of this YouTube video. It says Tom Brown Shorts. Wait a second. Is that the way you're supposed to read that? <laughs> I thought, well, so wait, I, is it, yeah, wait, I didn't read the top. I didn't read the top first. So I literally read Tom Brown Shorts. And then I'm like, okay, Tom Brown 
his shorts. A guy's wearing shorts. Wait a second. But yeah, I don't think. <laughs> I think the park's name is Tom Brown, and the layout yeah. is shorts. But if yeah. you read it wrong, it says Tom Brown shorts. Okay, makes sense. Tom Brown oh, shorts. Okay. Anyways, that's random. People post the craziest things. Here we go. Uh, question number five: Is left knee slash ankle pain normal <laughs> for a right hand backhand thrower? It seems I'm dealing with quite a bit of soreness and pain. Wondering whether this is normal or is it due to bad form? Thanks. Hey, look at that! Oh my God, we just talked about that for two hours. These are random. Watch our by podcast. The way. These are these are random. <laughs> yeah, we should have did this first. Yeah, we're gonna let the expert talk about this. Is that normal? It is not normal, and that goes to <laughs> applying a technique solution to a movement problem. Why didn't Nick, Nick just? <laughs> I love it. Just the way he said it is not normal. Like it was just perfect. <laughs> but that's how the question was asked. It was like, is that normal? And I'm yeah. like, how is that normal? <clears throat> so yeah. And that goes to people think about technique. Is it bad form versus is my hip messed up? And that's what's affecting my ankle. So, okay. So, all right, let's Nick, do you have any thoughts on that? Or do you just want to leave that to the, expert? no, I'll just leave that to the expert. He made me <laughs> okay. laugh. He made me laugh enough. All right. This is going to be the last question. Hold on a second. Yep. All right. So here we go. Let's okay. No, I got to get the voice right. <laughs> let's play. What's in your bag. I'm in the process of testing a lot of new stuff. So I know my selection is crazy, but here we go. Now, he had a list of like 40 discs. I cut it out for the viewers, but so he listed a whole bunch of discs. And then he says, I showed you mine. It's time for you to show me yours. Laugh face. So that's a winky face. That okay. ain't a laugh face. Wink, yeah, wink. I showed you yeah. mine. Now you show me yours. Okay. So <clears throat> I will just start right off the top of my head and you guys can all do the same. I throw these are the discs. I'm not going to go like putter dry. I'm just going to list them all. AVRs, um, Comets, ESP specific. I throw um, Sexton Firebirds, the Glow Firebirds. Oh, show I off. have G Star, yeah, high roller. G Star yeah. um, Destroyers mainly. I do have a Shimmer Star Destroyer. Um, I have Cayman, but lately I've been throwing the Rat a lot. I love the Rat lately. Um, my bag's pretty light. I'm trying to think what else. Sometimes I have an eagle in there or a sidewinder I have in there for rollers or really important turnover shots. And some of these, I have multiple disc molds of that. Um, and actually, I, Nick, you're going to be proud of me. I do have, as of late, I've been trying to work into an ESP zone. And you have limited edition comments. I don't know yeah. if you said limited edition. I didn't. I didn't get that You detail. do have the limited yeah. edition ESP comments. I definitely collect those. Yeah. All right, Nick, what's in your bag? Just list what you uh, think of. A Get Freaky Zone, a Crystal Raptor. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, I do have those, though. But I was just trying to, you know, one-up Matt. Um, I throw Zeus's, Onyx's, a Vulture, Undertaker's, Raptor, Buzz's, Malta, Putt with Luna's. I throw Luna and a Big Z Roach, a Zone. I think that's it. All right. So uh, what what do you carry in your bag there, Seth? Uh, I'm always trying to simplify my bag. Uh, right now, it's mostly um, Wardens, Verdicts, Anvils, Justice, World, a uh, beat up sword, um, some felons. I'm trying to I'm trying to simplify more and more uh, because. Uh, I had a friend, he had been playing like 40 years. He'd carry three discs under his arm and he would crush everybody. 
And so yeah, that's like what Ricky did at Nantucket. You can get the better. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen that same thing. I got beat by a guy with like a, a Nova and like some random driver, two discs, yeah. and you just throw them in from everywhere. Well, Steve Dodge used to just roll around. He would literally one disc. Yeah, one disc, two discs. He would have a lace and the, a vibrant putter. I don't remember what he put it with. The VP or the, the Ridge. Yeah, yeah. One of those. Okay. So that. I should have the outro music. Internet disc golf question. So that was the outro. Um, so we've really come to the end of the segment, Seth. Is there anybody you'd like to shout out? I know you are the sponsor for players, but do you have anybody you'd like to thank or anybody you want to point us towards or um, just shout out as your parting ways? Maybe your wife. That was cool meeting her, by the way, out in Las Vegas. Oh, yeah. That was this year has been crazy. But that's where I officially in person met you was walking the Las Vegas Strip with you and Terry Miller and your wife. So that was awesome. Um, but yeah, anything you want to say or point us towards any direction, social media, anything else? Yeah, definitely shout out to my wife. She does a lot of the hard work behind the scenes to help uh, push to, you know the, everything out there. Um, and it was great meeting you. And thanks to, to both of you for having me on. And uh, just you know, thank you to the sport, to, to all the players, the community that is wanting to figure out how to play better and play longer. And, you know, that's, that's my shout outs there to, to the community. Um, one last thing, if you want to learn more, just, you know, in, I got Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, uh, that, that web, that, uh, um, warm up is at discgolfstrong.com forward slash disc golf athlete. And last thing, if you want to learn more about we have the uh, something we're doing right now called the Disc Golf Strong Performance Academy. It's it's yeah, kind of on the down low in the sense that we just got a few people going through it. Um, but if you want to learn more, like to when that comes up in a couple months, go to discgolfstrong.com forward slash performance to jump on a wait list, like a learn more list, and we'll give you send you some more uh, information as that exclusive, comes. Exclusive, exclusive, more man. exclusive, Nick exclusive <laughs> content from the Nick and Matt show. This is this is crazy. We need a bell or something. Yeah, ding. like ding 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 All ding right. ding. So thank you so much, Seth. Yeah, I'm dude, going to go awesome. and dream about all the things you talked yeah. about. And you may or may not be in the dream. I know. It's kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I think I think tonight all we right. probably had the most comments that actually had to do a lot with our guest. Mm. Like our, our comments within the first 10 minutes, we get a badge saying, congrats, you hit 100 comments. <laughs> the quickest we've ever had them. Thank you to our so commenters. So you're... Wow. This was awesome. Oh, thank you. Great, okay. super fun pleasure of a time to hang out. We are going to continue on. So, Seth, if you want to, I know you're on the West Coast there, so it's not as late as here. But if you want to, jump in and check out and see if anything stands out to you. We have, it obviously, commenters on YouTube and Facebook. But thank you, guys. Yep. Or thank you so much for coming on. And um, we'll see you around someday when it's normal to travel again. <laughs> but uh, yep. stay safe out there. Sounds great. And totally yeah. appreciate it, Seth. Good night. Peace out, dude. All right. Thanks, everyone. See ya. All right. Bye. bye. <clears throat> Yo, right. what a what a fun time. And to everyone commenting right now, we really appreciate it. Uh, I love reading the comments. I've probably said it like five times tonight. But interacting with the live chat room is really fun to me. When my mom comments, it's kind of it. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, no, it's, it's seriously super fun. Seth was incredible. Um, like he... Hold on. Are we getting an echo? No, you're good. Okay. <clears throat> like I... I don't take working out and stretching and everything like that that Seth talked about tonight I don't take it serious enough and this was kind of an episode that really helped me tonight to actually commit a little bit more actually sure. I should say a lot of it more this that. is going to turn into and this is just my guess 
one of our longer episodes. And and I said it out loud when Seth was on. I can sometimes be like, hey, let's direct this conversation. Let's shorten it up. Yeah. No, not really. I always make things longer. Yeah. But I think it was excellent content. The stuff Agreed. that was coming out, like I'm going to listen back to this whole podcast. Um, but it is going to be a it's little way bit longer. Because long yeah, we're <laughs> not quite done. Yeah. Um, we don't have to talk about everything, but there are a few things. We can at least give our input into this. Let the chat board kind of chime in on this. Nick, yes or no, is five hours too long for a disc golf tournament round at the pro level? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Just straight up. Yeah. That's, yeah. I mean, yes or no that's, is that's, hard, but that's way too long, uh, especially because what happens during a five hour round? They, why is it too long? Yeah. Because there's too many players on the course at one time. There's just sometimes it's bad course design. And a lot of why we're talking about this is because of the Ledgestone Insurance Open that just went on. Northwoods Gold isn't designed bad. So I'm not saying that every single time it's because of bad course design because it's really not. From I haven't played it yet, but from what I've seen on video, it actually looks like a super well-designed course. So it's a very so hard course here's, at the same so time. So if it's though. not poor design, let's again, we don't need to make this our longest episode ever, although it will be. <laughs> we don't need to make it the world record. I think it's because the the disc golf pro tour at this point or I should say even the event TDs are allowing and I'm not taking my hot take yet. They're allowing low-rated players to participate in a pro tour event. And mm -hmm. so now if you put a course that was designed, let's just say it, the par was designed for that 1000-rated average player, and then you put a 900 rated, that's 10 strokes per round yeah. less. And then you put them on the hardest hole, maybe in the country to get par on. It's going to make major backups. Yeah. <clears throat> I think that contributed to some of that as well. Hole 12, you could see people's Instagram posts. There was literally like <laughs> five, six, seven card backups. Like people were waiting. I, I remember watching the UDisc live scoring and it was like, oh, Paul's on hole 12 or oh, Brody's on hole 12. And then I'm going, I'm going, I'm going, I'm, you know, I'm working or whatever, or I'm practicing for the disc golf tournament. I play six holes at the course that I'm practicing. I go back. Paul still hasn't even thrown on hole 12 yet, or Brody still hasn't even thrown on hole 12 yet. Like that's just, it's mind boggling to me. I can't imagine what it, I've never waited that long. Like I've had long rounds before that end up, you kind of look at it. You're like, oh yeah, that was a three or three and a half hour round. <laughs> so and that's, long. that's pushing it. But yeah, in the moment you feel like that's a wicked long round, especially, I, what, especially what you if think, you didn't bring snacks. Yeah, that is true. What, what is, what do you think the longest you ever waited in a backup was for me? It was probably in that 25 minute range, at least, uh, what do you, anything closer or longer than that? I got to think back. Um, in general, I mean, yeah. So I know there when you times. when you play Brewster Ridge, hole two is usually a two or three card backup, and it sometimes can be a very hard hole on your tee shot. So I've probably waited more than twenty minutes on that hole, and then I, I'm sure I'm, I'm sure I've waited thirty minutes before. Oh, hole sixteen at Fox Run always causes a massive backup because it's oh, you, you play yeah. the short, not short, but you play a par three, and then it's pretty long somewhat the simple to get up and down. Field. But yeah, so your gap is like what twenty five thirty the feet whole wide way. the whole the whole way. <laughs> And so you have people spraying left, spraying right, spraying yeah. all over the place. And so, yeah, hole 16 has caused So hole design can do that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If you have a short hole and then a long hole. But I'm also saying, right, the rating of the player. Yeah, that. 100%. And some people are saying, like, I can see in the chats, like, if I had the opportunity to play in a Pro Tour event, wouldn't I? Now, I've done it before. Back when the MVP Open was Vibram Open, mm -hmm. and I placed on the last card. I was not last, but I was on the last card. Um I can tell you it was interesting. It was, I guess, in my head, oh, I played in the Vibram Open, but like 
there was really no satisfaction in that. And I think besides the fact of like, I was part of it, I guess. Um, I don't think I would ever do that again. I donated my money. It was an experience, but like, I don't know that we need to be having people get experiences. Like I'm paying for an experience to be in the pro tour. I think Mm -hmm. that will change in the future. You kind of, yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. I think you kind of pay for an experience to potentially get on the same card as one of the touring pros that you enjoy (laughs) watching. No, no, no. Like the way sometimes. Oh, first round. Yeah, first round. Oh, man. Yeah, but that's got to be horrible for a, a touring player. Uh, agreed. I also <laughs> don't like the randomization. Like, and this was actually a hot take a couple months ago when I talked about feature cards. Like, why do certain players always tee off at two or one or three in the afternoon? You know, how come that player? Like, I remember last year, Chris Clemens had to tee off first like four times. He's a thousand twenty rated player, and he literally was like the first guy to throw at multiple tournaments. I felt wow. bad because I was like, that's ridiculous. Especially if you're carpooling with people, now that other person has to wake up so he can drop you off the course. Wait, that's you're literally a... saying the first person at the tournament? Dude, he was literally, the... <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure there was like two or three times last year where he was like the legit first wow. MPO player to tee off. Wow. Okay, so that is a whole topic. We Maybe we yeah. should do a whole topic on that someday. Um, what about, what did you think about the FPO stream being covered early i say earlier in the first half it was earlier and then the mpo stream being covered in the last half let me set this up for listeners who are just jumping in on this and aren't familiar with it the pro tour throughout this year has been running i guess consider like what they would call a test Mm -hmm. and they have been doing this mixed blended fpo mpo coverage where um the men will go out and um then when the men are out somewhere let's say halfway the women will go out and they'll start coverage of the women and they'll keep flashing back and forth between the men and the women um more so the men and then to the women until the women get to the middle and then they'll go more to the women because the men are finished so i am gonna say and i know there's people on the chat board who've already said that they liked it the way it was at ledgestone where it was Mm -hmm. separated i actually prefer it blended together because here's the deal i personally don't like taking the time this is on me i know taking the time to in the morning watch three or four hour round and then, especially if it's a work day, yeah. Um, especially, but even any day, weekend or not, and then going like lunch and then coming back and then eventually, okay, I'm going to turn on an NPO for another four hours or what lately has turned into five. I felt like I was able to see both of what was happening now, not fully, but guess what? I don't need to see every single shot that Paul's doing through the whole round. Like I have Udisc one mm-hmm. and they're going back and forth enough and recapping with the story of what's happening. And then they are more or less showing what is happening. Like yeah. they, you're not missing everything. Agreed. So to me, I'm able to see both and actually be in, in interested in the FPO. It's the same time as the MPO. I may be out there alone on this. I, I heard Smashbox talking about mm-hmm. it. Somebody was saying, oh, you know, it could go the other way. I like it the other way too. But whatever it is, I personally appreciate it blended together because I get more content and I can be excited about both at the same time. All within that kind of time frame it feels that you're like talking it's like about. A exactly. Right. Because to me, it's like the tournament is happening. Yeah, because the lead card's going off and then finally, eventually, while the lead card says on hole nine or whatever for MPO, the FPO lead card finally tees off. Or, you know, that's how it's been this year. I actually really liked the way Ledgestone did it in the sense of the timing could have been a little bit better. It also, the MPO players were playing longer courses than the FPO players. But what was cool was that it was like watching two different tournaments in one because the females all played um, Sunset Hills. 
which is completely different than Northwoods or Eureka. So you kind of got to watch. I did like that. You you got to watch different courses. I like that in the same tournament. But they could now. It would be tough. They only have four camera guys right now. But they could still do separate courses and yeah. live. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. Now they don't have enough really cameras. They'd have to really yeah. split them up. They obviously couldn't make the timing work because you had, what, 41 FPO players and then you had 184 MPO players. I think that was the reason. Like, yeah, that's, it has to be the reason to it. Like, all of a sudden you have, you know, the first X amount of cards go off and then lead card for the FPO doesn't go off till three o'clock in the afternoon so that they can be in time with the MPO. Like, obviously you're not going to do that. But that brings up this next question, or not question, but thought process, guys. This is where it goes to. So right now it might be okay to do it Mm -hmm. separately, like on the same day. But don't we really, really want to spotlight eventually FPO? Why not? And I know why not right now, but eventually have their own tournament, their own tour, their own stop. And in honest, all honesty, if Ledgestone this week is MPO and next week the FPO is at whatever course um, playing their tournament, I am more likely to turn it on because that is going to be the only show in town, if you will. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I like, think yeah. if there's not MPO later in the day and that's the disc golf I get, I'm going to be excited about watching it. Yep. Um, it's hard for me, as I said, the reason being all day, that's what happens yeah. right now. So. All day is tough, but <clears throat> I like that I like idea. I just, I'm like trying to wrap my head. How would that work? Because there are a lot of couples. No, play, yeah. It's, you know, it's a long down the road, it's, but yeah, I think. Exactly. But it could potentially, obviously, they're, you know, it'd be awesome if the females had their own, like, that is the you know, FDGPT. Yeah. And then, so, yeah. If they got exactly what If they had 100 or 150 touring women, I mean, it's really going to be very hard to do that with the MPO too. So, um, I like watching disc golf. So, honestly, whatever happens on the weekend to watch disc golf, I'm watching disc golf. Yeah, exactly. And can I say, I wish there were more cameras out there. FPO, okay, so we always do this and it's just the nature of the names. FPO being female. MPO does not mean male. It means mixed. Mixed. Can we be clear? Like when I say that, I'm not discrediting that women could also choose to play MPO. So when I say a separate, I don't care if the women come and join the MPO. If they want to do their own, that's what they should do. And that's how I think it would be best to grow it. Okay. So here's the next up topic. We are now at two hours, everybody, into our podcast. Thanks for sticking around this long. If you've made it this far, congratulations. You're going to hear a quick topic on Brody Smith. Um, If you haven't heard... And I've only heard through kind of the rumor mill, but I've heard it out of his mouth, but I watched it through a video, yada, yada. Brody Smith has said, hey, guys, I'm going to make an official YouTube announcement at some point here very soon. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, yeah, I'm going to take a break. I'm not going to tour the rest of the season. Um, He didn't elaborate too much on why, but that's the case. Now we can kind of speculate. Nick, why do you think he's choosing to take a break from the touring season? If you're not playing up to your standards touring and playing every single week is wicked frustrating and mentally exhausting like it really is i when i go out on the road and play even for that one weekend if i do not play to how i think i should be playing i'm like legitimately pissed off and it's really hard to kind of you know, it takes me a day or two of coming back to my real life, you know, my job that I do. I'm kind of like sitting there on my job site. It's like, damn, if I only I'd played better, I'd be enjoying my day of work right now. But and that's just me. Just every- strong, baby. Yeah. Oh, dude, I, I know you got to go listen to this again. But he he's been doing it every single week now. Mm-hmm. He's also brand. This is his first year playing the sport. 
he's already made huge strides in the sport. He's already become no doubt a very good player. No doubt. But he's not at the point to where Northwood's gold. You literally took a guy who's been playing for eight or nine months now, and you put him on arguably the hardest course in the world. <laughs> and what do you know? He didn't play up to his expectations. It's like it's demoralizing, and I don't know if that's it's the case. Wicked because what do you think? But okay, and I do not know Brody personally. I literally said hi in passing as a fanboy would do down at Idlewild. Hey, Brody, I'm I'm Nick's friend. <laughs> a shout out to Nick. That's oh, my yeah. six degrees of separation to Brody. But um, so when I say this, this is literally no judgment. It's literally a talk show where we're discussing the topics at yeah. hand. Do you think he had to have come into this season with the mindset of what if? Like, what if I can't perform? Because he's never done this before. Mm -hmm. What if I can't perform? What if I'm not able to? So he had to have worked through that in his head already. And do you think this was just that checkpoint of time where he's like, okay, it is happening the way I thought it might. And here was my fallback plan. Yeah. I would just leave the tour. Do you think, or was this totally on the fly? Like Idlewild no, happened I mean, or Ledstone happened and yeah. he's like, oh, that's it. Like I'm done. I think it was more on the fly hmm. because, you know, when I was up in Michigan, we were talking about, you know, MVP Open, him staying at my house. We've already tried, you know, made plans for, you know, a couple of us are staying together up in Vermont and, you know, doing the whole quarantine situation up there. Like we had plans for the last kind of two big tournaments and especially my favorite ones, the New England tournaments. So when I saw his tweet about it, you know, I was, you know, I was kind of hurt. I was sad. And uh, reason being, because, you know, obviously I like seeing all my friends when he they come to town. He doesn't want to stay up here in New England with you. Exactly. I must have made you a can bad go to him, impression. He won't go to you. Yeah. But no, on a serious note, um, Brody doesn't think about, you know, the what ifs I can't play or what ifs I can't perform. Perform. He thinks about, okay, I'm not performing well right now. I'm going to do the smart thing. I'm going to go back home and I'm going to perfect my craft. You know, he's back home grinding he literally probably flew into town got there whenever and probably went straight out to a field and was like hey this week my backhand sucked i couldn't hit a gap or whatever you know whatever his mentality was he probably went to a field and practiced that same shot over and over and over whether it's a flip up meteor or a flex forehand that that's his mentality so there was never of a you know i can't play or i i'm just i'm not cut out for this like he's gonna come back and he's going to be an even better player than he has slowly been becoming. But I think I think Northwoods and Eureka were kind of, you know, in a sense, a slap in the face. Like, I remember when I first played Eureka, I was like, dude, I don't know how to throw far. I don't know how to throw far and keep it in bounds. I definitely do not know how to do that when there's wind and water involved. So, like, bam, take a 940 rated player, put him on this course, and you're going to shoot, like, plus what 45. What is his He's, I'm saying that was me back in oh, 2017, okay. but he's 984 now. Man, I think so. Here's the interesting thing is that <laughs> here we go to ratings. Is that there an, is that an inflated rating? <laughs> I know now I sound like the people who are commenting about Paul. No, yeah. but really, he does not have a huge track record experience with tournaments yet. Is that 985 high because he has not been playing that? No, I, I would say it's because he's he has a soft rating. Because he does not have many rated rounds. So it's not like, yeah, if he yeah. had 20, it'd probably be a little bit closer. He had, Yeah, he had like three rounds in his rating. Then he went to DDO in the first round. He shot like a 1020. <laughs> you could shoot 950, 950, 950, then 1020. But here's the and thing. And that 1020 is going to be immaculate for your rating. That's true. Because that's, that's the true. way the rating system works. Based off of what I have observed of him, 
he's better than me and you're going to laugh. Yes, he's better than you. But I have shot that 1,020 at one point and I've also shot the 900s. Mm -hmm. So like, it, it's interesting. I think it, it, we don't, it doesn't matter what we think. But yeah, yeah go home, get better, uh, learn your game, come back. You know what he's taking with him though? He's got experience on the tour now. Yeah. Like he knows. He's, he knows what level he needs to be at to actually be able to compete. And like, he's not in it to cash at every tournament. Like, yeah. he wants to be a player who's competitive in the disc golf world. So, I mean, he shot minus one on Eureka the last round. I'm pretty sure that was like 1019 rated or whatever. It's somewhere in that range. Like, dude, that's fallen. I don't, I don't think I had a, my first year of playing, probably my first two years of playing. I don't think I had a thousand rated round. There's like, no doubt. No. There's no doubt. He's done and is doing impressive things uh, for his period of time yeah. that he's been in the sport. No doubt. Now, here's a kind of a jab, if you will. Do you think he saw, he's like, okay, Idlewild, and then it went Ledstone, Northwoods, Gold. And he's like, and what's up next? Oh, the New England swing, where it just yeah. keeps getting where tighter. Where it literally gets tighter. tighter and tighter. Yeah, <laughs> And he's exactly. like, now would be a good time to pull the parachute and yeah. head home and learn more. And that's not the fault. I think that is smart. That's an athlete yeah. saying, like, I know, the and this is what Seth said, it's I know the level of my game. And it's not to be upset at it. It's to say, I, now I know what I need to do. Mm -hmm. Hey, look at me. We had a guest on the show and I learned something. Yeah. So it, it works like that sometimes. So anyways, that is interesting with Brody. I yeah. wish the best for him. And Same. Nick, there's no obviously. lie. We're obviously going to try and get him on the show at some point. Mm -hmm. um, it, tell him about the Nick and Matt show, everybody. No, I'm kidding. Don't do that. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> um, I, but, I already texted him. Don't worry. It's, it's, it's potentially in the works. It's in the works someday. But, Same thing with Paul, Nick's best friend, eventually, you know. Um, yeah. Just <laughs> eventually yeah. on the show. So listen, no, nah, I'm just joking. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we didn't ask Seth earlier, but Paul actually commented on the post I made saying, hey, what should we ask oh, Seth? Oh, yeah. And the question was... How did we not ask Paul's no, yeah. question? No, but yeah, because yeah, who's Paul? What? No. Yeah, exactly. Seth, Seth saw and answered, but Paul had said, hey, you want to ask Seth a question? Ask him, who's his favorite disc golf player and why is it Paul, Paul McBeth or why is it me? Yeah. And um, <clears throat> I, I think I responded with, what, what did I say? I yeah. said, um, the, the truth might hurt, but maybe not knowing would hurt worse yeah. or something. So we'll ask. Seth him. commented back and it was kind of funny. He was like, <laughs> you'll be my favorite player when you accept my friend request. Yeah. And then Paul accepted his friend request. And then <laughs> Seth was like, okay, now you're my favorite. So that was kind of funny. Okay. But so next topic. Yep. Yeah, no, we're actually, I think we're done. So in next week, who Are do we, we have coming it? on the show? Yeah, Lola, let's you know just what? tell them. Let's, no, let's not tell them. Guess. I want a little tease. Yeah, no, I want to guess. Ooh. And I will say <laughs> he has won one major title. One. One major title. So he's not that good. Oh, wait, major. Major, like the majors. Like he has won a Steve major. Steve Brinster. That's a good guess, but it's not that. <laughs> I want to see a couple, hopefully a couple of comments come through. Comment. He's a one-time winner of a very large major. Someone guessed Nick's mom. <laughs> Not my mom or my dad. I don't think my dad has watched a single episode or even listened That's funny. to me on this podcast. But uh, okay, so Doc, right. Doc, I saw your comment earlier when we were talking about the uh, internet questions intro theme. Maybe I will get the band back together real quick Ooh, and play that you know, song. Yeah, my dad's a drummer. My mom sings. I play the keyboard, and then we have friends who do the rest of the stuff. Okay, so any other clues to this? How about this? And this clue should give it away pretty good. Um, no, that's too, that's too good of a clue. I mean, that's too easy. Um, I'm going to say something like this for sure. For sure. Greg Barsby is a good guess, but not him. Eventually. For sure. we will have I'm just going to keep on. saying for sure. Oh yeah, for sure. 
That's sure. another that's another insider. We have talked about him. Actually, the week that we talked with Kona, Kona. we talked a lot about this, this individual. individual. Yep. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, he's stayed in this studio area on tour one year. Yep. With Paul Macbeth. All right. Nate Doss has won more than one major championship. So not Nate Doss. Okay. So, but that would be sick too, actually. I would Nate Doss is probably the first player that first I first one to loved. answer um wins an attaboy. Here you go. He has probably the most collectible disc on the market right now. Yeah, that could be. I actually think uh, yeah. it could be. It, it probably still technically <clears throat> is because they make more of them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it could be the most. Um, he, has, he has a wife and a daughter. Okay. So you ready? We he drives, much... he drives a red Prius. <laughs> Dave Hickson guessed correctly. Nate said Dave name. Hickson. That's yeah. my man. Oh, his name, <laughs> his name rhymes yeah. with Nate and his last name Sexton. So yeah. Let's Nate's. go Hickson, my man. <clears throat> next, next week, Nate Sexton. So be uh, on the lookout. Are we 630? Oh yeah. Thanks for telling me. So gotcha. it's a West coast thing again, just like we had Seth on Nate Sexton is also West coast. And because, and we'll, we'll talk about some of this, but he's staying at home and daycare duty and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Like it just works out time-wise. We are going to be earlier, which I know doesn't cater to a lot of our live viewers, but 6.30 Eastern next week. If you're on the West Coast, obviously three hours behind, that's 3.30 uh, on your time zone. But uh, Nate Sexton is going to be a tremendous guest. If you've ever seen him on uh, Showmez, if you will, or Jomez, yeah. like his, he's got dry humor, but he's very insightful. Luckily, Matt Great and I player. both have the privilege of, I would say, being friends with him. So it yes. won't be like an interviewee kind of podcast. Yeah. We're all friends, much. so we'll have fun conversation like we try to do every single week with all of you guys so matt is that gonna wrap it up yeah i think that is uh it was a quality show we this i think is officially our longest episode so now we have something to beat going forward yeah let's not try to beat this (laughs) anytime i don't have work tomorrow so that's why i didn't Uh, mind it so uh, that's the reason uh anyways thank you everybody ladies and gentlemen i really really appreciate you guys tuning in tonight um please like subscribe leave comments give us questions you know matt always posts beforehand um leave questions that you want nate to answer i would love to you know ask them i love reading the comments so anyways like subscribe hit the thumbs up button we'll see you on all your favorite podcast stations see you next week nick you're the man all right everybody bye thanks for tuning in to the nick and matt show be sure to check us out on your favorite social platform and subscribe on itunes